Welcome to the Save Room, your safe haven for gaming, news, and discussion. My name is Kevin. And my name is Daniel. And this is episode... Oh shit, I forgot. 58? 58. Fuck yeah, get in the 60 and then we quit. <laughs> no, nice. we gotta at least make it to 69 so I can be like, nice. Nice, dude. Yeah, nice, dude. Nice. Hey, if you didn't know, the Save Room is brought to you by Daniel's MacBook. Thank you, Daniel's Thank MacBook. Thank you so much. You're so great. You're, you're the best supporter and the longest sponsor we've had. Still chugging. I love it. You can find us on SoundCloud.com slash TheSaveRoomShore or Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, and on RSS feeds just like all over. Please like, share, subscribe. Exactly in that order. Don't fuck this up exactly in this order gamers we're depending on you gamers you can check out our bad takes over at twitter at save room show we got a lot of bad takes the gamers don't agree with but uh they're worse takes i guess <laughs> you should see the ones in our drafts oh, shit. <laughs> even though i'm real uncomfortable with being watched i stream games watch me stream at twitch.tv slash the red herb still been streaming a lot lately hitting your monday wednesday friday cadence nope Mm. I've been all over the goddamn place. Yeah. Well, yeah. at least you keep people up to date now in the Discord. So yeah, check That's out important. our Discord. I don't know how to tell you about that. We're the save room on the Discord. I really don't that? know how to promote it either. Vargi always just kind of happens to yeah. be there to drop the link when. Yeah, I we need it. our mod, our unpaid mod. He needs to get on this. Shout out to you, Vargi. Thank you, Vargi. We love you, Vargi. But when I stream, I'm not stuck in the chat with you. You're stuck in the chat there with me. So come check out my stream at Twitch.tv/DungeonsAndDaniels. That's cool. What yeah. you been streaming last? Something, uh, something it's with swords? Monday, Tuesday, Sekiro. Friday, Saturday, Sekiro. It's every day, Sekiro. Jesus Christ. I wow. Know. You okay? You seeing, you seeing nothing but parries behind your eyes? You close your eyes, side nothing? I just, I see Bling! red death blows. <laughs> Everywhere you go. And monkeys. Bling! A lot of monkeys. <laughs> oh, that was the weirdest part of that, by the way. You didn't warn me for that. I don't mean the guardian ape boss mm -hmm. fight. But right before that, you run into, like, a horde of 20 monkeys that are just chilling. They're like a little summoning circle. They're just, like, chilling, doing their thing, chitting and chatting. Some of them have, like, rapiers, and some of them have dual swords. It's a little nuts. So <laughs> I had an, a, a gamer inclination, and my mm -hmm. first inclination was like, oh, shit, perfect opportunity to throw a grenade. And I thought to myself... Oh, I'm a shinobi. <laughs> I don't have anything like that. Yeah, I'll never oh. taught you the, the usage of grenades. Now, I have firecrackers, but that's just going to irritate them. Hmm. No, I actually did a drop down on them where I threw a firecracker sure. in, scared all of them into my whirlwind slash, cut them all up. Oh, yeah, that's quicker than what I did. Yeah. I, I took them on one by one as <laughs> if I were stuck in a, uh, a Korean martial arts film. <laughs> jumped into the middle of it like it was fucking uh what's that one movie old boy <laughs> oh, yeah. it's weird though because yeah. like you fight so many like human type enemies that when they throw like beast and like animal type things at you you're like what is this yeah there's there's been a lot of moments in that game where i'm just like what is happening to me yeah how is this the escalation at this point did that monkey rip off its own wait a second was it being infested by a centipede Oh yeah, that was a that was a revelation at the end of it. I was like, oh, I can't get mad at the monkey. It was actually just a centipede living inside of his gigantic body. Of course, it was it was something. Why but... was that the first thing I thought of? <laughs> but we'll get into that later because yes. we're gonna get into some more yes. secure talk at the end because that's all yes. I've been playing. And Kevin yes. finally got back into it too. So see, the thing is, I, I do a big stint of it and then I take a break. That's what that's how I go. You were super burnt out by like the Genichiro fight. You're like, I gotta put it down for a whole year. Dude, that was a fucking... I was throwing glass bottles in my room, and, and just, I, I think I was shirtless. It got really hot. It was so hot in that fight. I don't know. 
I don't know, dude. I'm, just, I'm sweating now thinking about it. Because <laughs> you have all this intense lighting in your yeah. room for your stream setup that it all like mm-hmm. beams down on you. I have two lights. Yeah. <laughs> you have, like I have a studio in there. <laughs> it's better than my fucking lighting. I look barely illuminated yeah, on I have stream. one LED light that like fucks with my eyes. I need a better situation. Streamers. Streamers out there. Actually, whoever knows us and knows our Discord, fucking tell me what a good light setup is. Because I'm sick mm. of what's going on. I'm blinding myself. I'm not playing at my optimal level, Daniel, which is a plat after plat every stream. Yeah, he's been struggling with that. And struggling. <laughs> he with can't the get plats. the good lighting, so he can't yeah. get the plats. It's these stupid Washington apartments, though. None of them have like overhead lighting. What is with or fans? Or fans or anything. Rooms? I don't know. It's weird. No, it's, really it's weird. fine. It's fine. I want to talk to you real quick though tell, before tell we me. get into this crazy gamer news because there's a lot of it. It's April, my dude. I want to. I want to take a moment to say Hallelujah. Endgame month is finally here. Avengers, man, it's coming out this month. Oh yes! Holy <laughs> shit! I'm so excited, yeah, dude. Oh shit, dude! Oh man, that's gonna be so good. <sighs> but I again, I don't want to know fucking anything. Literally, when I see any media or any reference to it, I just turn it off. I just go, nah, I don't want to Yeah, see it. I've been doing a lot of that too. Yeah. People are like, you want to know how long it's been between Infinity War and Endgame? Fuck no, I don't. It's probably been a few years, like a few months to a year. I don't need to know anything else. I, that's it. <laughs> yeah. it. Really, it's it's only been a year since the last one came out. Yeah. It's amazing. I've seen Infinity War like 15 times. I really have too. I fall asleep to it. They filmed some of those scenes like back to back like while doing both movies, so. Yeah, that was the interesting part where um, Captain Marvel, uh, something Brie. Why am I Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Yeah, you fell like, asleep during that movie, so I'm not surprised you don't remember why do, any why do you gotta? <laughs> why do you go embarrass me in front of the same roommates like that? I was very sleepy, and I took two edibles right beforehand. You know what I did. I know, I know. We got into reclining seats, and it's like I it was like going to the sunken place and get out. I was gone. Okay? <laughs> no, I was gone. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, she, she actually filmed her performance in Endgame before she ever did for Captain Marvel. And mm-hmm. I thought, fuck, that's weird, because it's like a 20-year gap in yeah, between both movies. It's a pretty big difference. People, too, are noting the difference between yeah. the scene that they showed with her in the trailer versus what they did with Captain Marvel and they're like this is what happens when you get a female director to direct Brie Larson this is what happens when you get a male director and like they were just noting like her demeanor and performance across the two different like the trailer and Captain Marvel respectively interesting I was just thinking in like the one trailer that I saw with her where she looked super confident and not phased by by sexy ass Thor uh, I would have been phased I would have been so phased phased. oh my god and then like the the hammer I would have flinched like a a, a motherfucker of course anyway but no she's got no cares but I think uh, one of the coolest things that uh, has been announced recently is I guess Kevin Feige I think that, Kevin Feige or Kevin Feige. I forgot how to say There's his no name. There's no way to know. There's no way to know. I need to have all the Infinity There's Stones no way to, to know. <laughs> but he said that this movie Endgame is going to be the ending of what is going to be known as like the Infinity Saga. Mm. Yeah, so that's going to be the end of like the original Avengers and they're going to usher in a whole new era and a whole new saga. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I, he- I heard the next phase, what is it, phase four yeah. that we're on next is going to be, a, it has a five-year plan. That's crazy. Already, and I'm like, hey, I'm fucking down. If, if, if Endgame is like, ushers in this entire new MCU, I'm about that too, you know? How many goddamn Captain Americas can we get? That's how many, true. How many scenes of Iron Man sitting on a giant donut can you get before <laughs> you get sick of it? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we're going to so get a lot, like, of, a lot of new interesting characters and I guess lesser known known heroes that we don't know too much about yeah no i'm i'm down with that too because it's a lesser known shit that surprises us guardians of the galaxy were considered lesser known. yeah there was a point where i was like i don't right. care about these characters i don't know who they are but those ended up being like some of the most fun and heartfelt movies in the, yeah. all of the mcu so i'm down like clown we gotta buy our tickets we do yep what's today the the, the eighth or ninth it is the ninth it's okay. ninth 
Yep. Fuck. We gotta buy our fucking Two tickets. weeks. Let's do it. Probably can't get any tickets anyway. Yeah. I wanted to go to a dining theater because I wanted to very much get drunk while watching this film. I'm right there with you. You always like pitch those yeah. ideas of like what the Alamo Draft House experience of like sitting down at a theater. And... It's my favorite <laughs> theater going experience because mm-hmm. we didn't talk about it in the last episode. We did talk about the fact that we saw us, but we didn't talk about the fact that five grown ass fucking women sat behind us and talked throughout the entire film and laughed and were loud as shit. And when somebody called them out, uh, just a very simple and polite, shut the hell up, they started bitching at him like, why don't you fucking move if you got a fucking problem? It's like, like, uh, we paid to be here. The (laughs) nerve of them to get irate about it. Yeah. So that's why, like, Alamo Drafthouse, especially, they have a very, very strict policy about Mm. phones and talking. If you do that, get the fuck out. We don't care. You're not here to do that. That was honestly probably one of the worst, like, movie-going experiences I've had in a really long time. And I get, like, horror movies. People, like, like to get involved. They yell. And they're like, oh, my, don't go in there. Don't do that thing. But, like, it was just the fuck up. They were just talking about fucking Facebook. And their phones were open. And just, like, giggling about bullshit. Like, not paying attention. I'm just like, what the shit? When I show up for Endgame, I want motherfuckers who are there for that. Who are gripped for the entire experience. And I don't want to say a goddamn word. Oh my god, dude. I'll call the police on anybody that fucks up <laughs> during that movie. Like, it'd be like, 911, there is a son of a bitch behind me. <laughs> during what movie, sir? Uh, Avengers Endgame? I'm in the audience. I'll, I'll be there right now. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm in the audience right now. Hang on. <laughs> Throws a baton. <laughs> Gets that fuck. Uh, I think we got some gamer news, dude. We do. We got the news for the gamers, so tune out if you're not a gamer. Here we go. (laughs) I love it. Hey, that's exclusionary, Daniel. Don't support that. You should have told me the fuck off. (laughs) You failed the test. (laughs) I cheated myself and everybody around me. (laughs) You didn't improve. (laughs) Nothing was gained. Nothing was lost. We'll get into that. We'll get into it. We'll get into that. Uh, Before we do, however, number one on here, Nintendo has announced the Labo VR, and it involves a lot of cardboard. On April 12th, hey, right in time for my birthday, wink, wink. I'm not buying you Labo for your birthday. I'm saying the winks, (laughs) so you can know that. Actually, hey, real quick, uh, can you cover your ears? Yeah, go ahead. I wanted to buy him a replica of all the keys from Resident Evil, but I didn't know if he'd be into that, so, you know, I don't know. What did he say? <laughs> like, I actually did cover my ears. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> what did he... Roommates, hit me in the Discord. On April 12th, Nintendo is releasing Labo VR, which will be the Switch's first foray into virtual reality. Two bundles will be available at retail. The VR kit, which includes six Toy-Con projects. It's literally the cardboard that constructs Toy-Cons? Toy, Toy-Con. Oh, I've never heard that. Toy, okay. it's a new, yeah, it's mm. a thing. Uh, the Toy-Con VR goggles, mm. uh, the Switch software, I'm assuming that means games, and a screen holder and safety cap. <laughs> What the fuck? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You need to be safe. All at the price of $79.99. That's the most I ever spent on cardboard. The Labo VR kit starter set plus blaster narrows it down to the goggles, software, and Toy-Con blaster. That's offered at $39.99 together. Fans of cardboard can also buy the remaining Toy-Con projects, such as Toy-Con wind pedal, (laughs) separately. What is that? <laughs> Nintendo, you bring me delight, even when you don't mean to. Uh, it's the different projects. Like, look it up. It's like weird things you can construct uh, together. Okay. Um, Nintendo also announced that on April 25th, free updates to Super Mario Odyssey and The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild will add Labo VR support. While Mario is getting three mini-missions in VR, Breath of the Wild will be entirely playable in Labo VR. 
we don't have a lot of insights in how that's going to work. They're saying it's a menu option. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm trying to imagine the whole fucking game in VR and how that would play out, but we'll see. Marketing materials showing off the VR goggles seem to indicate that there was no head strap for the peripheral. <laughs> Nintendo confirmed to The Verge that, yes, players are expected to, quote, hold the system up to their face, end quote. <laughs> the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard. You might as well fucking reissue the Virtual Boy, because that's a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Like, I think you can get what away with this? the hold the cardboard to your face thing with some of the lighter Labo experiences, but a whole experience, like, say you might want to play all of Breath of the Wild in VR without a head strap, like, no, that's a lot. Like, how do you manage your other hand? listen man i i get nintendo wanting to like stick a foot in the door for this but like mm-hmm. they're sticking literally like a pinky toenail into the vr mm-hmm. market right there with this shit it's like come on man this is not i don't know i get it i get it nintendo's always been of the mind where it's like well you know let's try it out with the kids first and mm-hmm. see if that that cooks because you know that's going to be our a breadwinner yeah. eventually they've always had that kind of mindset with stuff like that whereas like this is definitely not for somebody that would be interested in the oculus rift or psvr Mm-mm. as an alternative to go to the switch for vr i think it's a neat gimmick but the fact that first of all um <laughs> given all the cardboard it is the most flammable uh, vr headset in existence <laughs> <laughs> that this should tell you that this is not meant for Actually, hardcore players. It might be the second most flammable. What's the first? Uh, I hear that the PSVR setup is just mm. like a a fire hazard with all the cords and everything. Like you're one step away from an electrical <laughs> fire with that. You're fucking stuck stuck in there like lawnmower man <laughs> running around. Yeah. So it's a weird thing, and it's interesting that it's being packaged as a labo mm-hmm. situation rather than like, hey, here's Switch VR. And I think that's what a lot of people were maybe hoping for. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I don't give a shit about VR. Oh, I don't really either. I don't give a shit about VR, and I didn't really care to see what Nintendo's response to VR would have been. Mm-hmm. I was very happy with the endeavors and efforts that they were putting toward the Switch mm-hmm. without having to worry about um, wind pedal. Was that what that's, I was Yeah, reading? it says Toy-Con wind pedal. <laughs> yeah, Wh- so... What? Okay, so like a lot of their... Uh, hardware has always kind of been a little gimmicky here and there yeah. and i guess some of it like makes a little more grounded sense when it's like gyroscope controls and like joy con support in games when they make you like kind of tilt the system and stuff like that that works but this weird peripheral stuff makes no sense especially when trying to get your your foothold in a bigger market such as vr why not develop a whole different hardware for it you know yeah i'd like you the labo market is geared towards kids in the first place and i don't think kids are jumping to play vr like that it's i just... don't know is this a like a testing ground they're like hey try to bundle to this labo first and if people are actually super interested mm-hmm. in playing breath of the wild in vr maybe we'll come out with the actual switch vr mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know i don't know what they're trying to do but the whole i've seen it have you seen it i have where the fucking <laughs> system is like attached to your face it makes no sense like so a game you like a hold it legend of zelda that runs pretty consistently in like what 30 frames per second up to your face like that you're gonna have like such bad eye straining and it's you're not gonna be able to like keep up with it the same way seems you would real close yeah seems it real seems close a bit to the much eyeballs, yeah i agree with the idea of doing more bite-sized experiences like the idea of having like three mini missions in super mario odyssey seems really cool for a vr thing i like bite-sized things like that for them because that's what we've seen is has worked mostly for vr uh whether it's sony or other companies but a whole 40 to 100 hour experience like breath of the wild it's much it's one of those things where 
We'll see, but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I mean, but if it is, like you said, if it is a toggled option on a menu where it's like, okay, I can choose to play like this certain area. Yeah. Like, say I just want to walk through the, the Great Plateau in VR. Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty cool. They say you don't have to start a new save either, so you can just okay. do whatever game that you have already. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It almost, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what it's going to be This like. really isn't us for us in the first place. No. And I actually don't even know how well Labo's done in... I don't the know. grand scheme of things. I have no idea, but the fact that they keep on supporting it with more fucking skews tells me maybe it's mm. hidden somewhere. I, I don't conceptually have no problem with it. Um, it's not for me. I know that's not for yeah. me. I'm not mad at them for creating something that's not intended, where I'm not the intended audience. That, mm. that, that occurs sometimes when you're trying to hit mass markets. But uh, yeah, just to mention a VR, I'm sure people percolated mm-hmm. and then saw what it was and go, what the fuck? <laughs> so it's like, hey, temper your expectations, yeah. I guess. I like Nintendo as a company that sometimes they make plays that are for me and some that aren't for me. Uh, sure. Take Wii U, for instance. I always knew that console wasn't going to be for me. But when the Switch came out, I was like, yeah, this is totally what I'm looking for, that sort of hybrid console. Same thing with some of the other handhelds. You get to make those kind of propositions on your own. And I think that's pretty cool. Did they have their first kind of foray into VR with Virtual Boy? Yeah. Okay. Would you call that VR? Yeah. I uh, guess that was VR. Like a light VR simulation? Light VR. Well, the, the, the problem was light. You couldn't have any outside light. Else you couldn't <laughs> fucking see the These vacuum seals yeah. on your eyes. Yeah, you have to like play uh, in a dark room at night, and they had a few games on there. I think they had Mortal Kombat. Okay. I remember there being a Lost World game on there. I definitely played that one. Okay. Uh, and I forget whatever the fuck else, but everything was red. It was like LED red Okay. when you see it. Yeah. So never play it during like a solar eclipse when the reds are flaring up and it's not quite as dark as it needs to be. I mean, that is the recipe for a superhero story or like a villain origin <laughs> of some sort. Like, I don't know what could happen, <laughs> but it's going to involve like shooting fucking virtual boy laser beams out of your fucking eyes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What well, here's the thing. Get, get a head strap and you got my attention a little better, but you got this hold my yeah. system up to my face bullshit. You, you, lost, you lost me. me. You lost me, dog. You lost everybody, dog. But number two on here has got me. I don't know if it's got you percolated at all. George R.R. R. Martin rumored to be working with From Software on a new title. Rumored. We're going to emphasize that right now. Rumors, guys. Is this uh, confirmed? It Did is they a, say it? It is a rumor. It's confirmed IG, to be a I'm rumor. I'm checking IGN right now. Get Daniel. in there. Get in there, man. Oh, man sticky in there it doesn't say anything (laughs) (laughs) so as if press junkets and comic cons weren't enough it seems that game of thrones writer slash creator george rr martin might have one more thing to distract him from finishing the final two books in his acclaimed series it was rumored in late march that martin was collaborating with from software and hidetaki miyazaki as a writer for a brand new open world rpg the rumor comes via writer liam robinson over at the youtube channel spawn wave it's important to note that spawn wave has come forward to say the rumor hasn't yet publicly been confirmed according to the report quote from software will develop the as yet untitled project and bandai namco will publish it with the game of thrones author reportedly creating the world of the game and writing for the title the game will reportedly drop the player into a vast open world comprised of different kingdoms allowing you to choose which area you want to travel to and tackle first each kingdom will have a boss that you have overcome with the player character gaining the abilities of each boss after defeating them it's a bit like Mega Man. then if Mega Man was a huge open world game from one of the biggest fantasy authors on the planet just make that Mega Man game just make that that sounds really dope Actually, when I read that, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Lords of Shadow. Mm. That sort of like open world action adventure type game, while kind of closed circuited. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get like abilities from the bosses that you fight. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that, fair. That was like, I want more of that. I want more of that. I want more Lords of Shadow. From Software reportedly has two yet-to-be-announced titles in the works, with fan expectations high for Bloodborne 2 or a Demon Souls re- remake. <laughs> nah. But if this rumor ends up being true, this could be an interesting new fantasy adventure take from the developer. Okay. Where are you at with this? I think it's pretty cool. 
I, I like that idea of them kind of taking on a similar but different genre, more like action fantasy based, more mm-hmm. open worldy. Granted, you know, it's all the Soulsborne games are action RPGs. Even Sekiro's a got a pretty huge action RPG emphasis despite having, you know, a lack of RPG stats. Mm-hmm. But the idea of it being this kind of bigger open world experience, the idea of taking on different bosses within kingdoms and kind of like overcoming that greater kingdom one by one i think that's really neat yeah that's got a mega man flavor to it where there isn't like an order to the bosses or kingdoms like you have to you can take it on how you want Mm -hmm. i think that's interesting i mean it's got the same sort of dna as breath of the wild where you Mm -hmm. really could have approached any of that in any order and people did and it was pretty cool Good old Nando Bamkai. Nando Bass. <laughs> I like to see them in there. Well, that, that's that's good. They've actually, they published all of the Dark Souls games as well. I would like to see From take on a game that isn't distinctly something that is Dark Souls or, or even Sekiro. I would like to see them just do an action RPG that mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily about like, you know, triumph and perseverance mm-hmm. and overt difficulty. Like, I want to see them just make a game. Because <laughs> it's still going to have that DNA in there. You know it. You know it's going to have these paths of enemies. You know it's going to have backtracking. You know it's going to be a grueling fucking adventure. But yeah, I was struggling with that earlier because I was talking to people in the chat about it. And I was like, I don't know. I would like to see them do something that isn't this genre that they created. Right. You know? Soulsborne. Yeah. And it's it's a fantastic genre that people have been since mirroring and mimicking with like games like Salt and Sanctuary and, you know, other indie titles. But it's like after a while, you got to venture off and do something different. Yeah. And I, I you have to wonder, you know, Miyazaki has been there for years and from software has existed before Dark Souls or Demon Souls. Mm-hmm. So it- Armored Core? Mm-hmm. Okay. Armored Core, and uh, they did a lot of like support for different games, and they even published a few, I think. Mm. Um, I wonder, as a studio, at what point they're just like, yeah, can we not do another fucking Soulsborne? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And some of the changes that were made in Sekiro were because they didn't want to keep on tapping the same well. In fact, uh, that's why Miyazaki says that the uh, co-op feature was removed entirely, because mm. he's like, I don't want to keep on diving into that. It's like, it's it's not necessary for the vision that we have for this game, and we don't want to do it. That's I gotta it. wonder how much of that, too, was maybe Activision's influence. I don't know if they kind of just stepped back as a publisher and let them do what they wanted. That Apparently, yes. That's okay. exactly what happened. Activision said, hey, we trust you. Do your whole fucking thing. We'll just publish your game. Apparently, that very little to almost none. Uh, wow. No influence on the game. That's pretty cool that they trusted them that much to do something because Activision seems like they want to have like a kind of a stronghold on everything that they put out. But I mean, that game did so well with their backing. It got so much marketing, way more marketing than any from software game that I could think of. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I would would like to see them get that same sort of thing under Bandai Namco, but I know it's going to be approached a little differently. Now, how about George RR? Mm Mm-hmm. What do you, a fantasy story from George R.R.? Wow, seems a little unfamiliar. I don't yeah, think I've ever heard I'm anything like that. Uncharted Waters, right? <laughs> what if, uh, they're not saying anything about what it actually is, but what if it is tied in, into uh, A Song of Ice and Fire? Is it that? Sorry. Yeah, A Song of Ice and Fire. That's yeah, what yeah, that yeah. saga is known as. Right, right. Oh, not anymore, HBO. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. It's fucking Game of Thrones now. We don't care, George. Dude, also, that's like next weekend. That is. Oh, that I'm is so, next so stoked. Something else is happening this weekend, right? Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Ooh, I want to see Pet Cemetery. It's a good month for media, man. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. Sorry, every time. Those We're, are good faces. Ramones. Oh, okay. Yeah, they know that. the themes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. You think they got him back for this one, or they? I think they actually got a. Uh, 
They got Imagine Dragons to cover it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a radioactive uh, formula there. But I'm into it. I like I fantasy games, and I think this will be cool. I yeah. don't know that George R. R. Martin's ever done any video game work, so that'll be an interesting to see his hand in that. Hopefully, we don't have to worry about reading 12-page descriptions of what people are wearing via like books in game no <laughs> or describing courses of meal because that's what a lot of no. game of thrones was that'll just be on the developers to have to read through his fucking like <laughs> design bibles and it's just like shit you described an ocean for 12 pages <laughs> it's a little much george can we you kind of cut get it, down? it water effects do this they and wave. The, <laughs> they cut him out and then the contextual storytelling all over again <laughs> right right i'm hey but I, i'm into it that's oh. a, that's an interesting pairing yeah, I'm totally into it, especially the Mega Man thing. So that's got me percolated. Number three on here kind of springs board on a conversation we had last week yeah. about accessibility in gaming. Yeah. I mean, we kind of like kind of touched it a little bit, but since then it kind of erupted all over Twitter. I, I will say there's been some discourse, a lot of good points on both sides. What am I kidding? It's a shit show. It's an absolute <laughs> fucking shit yeah. show of people being of being gatekeepers and for some reason view or actually have no problem stating what they believe a developer's intention is without any say from the fucking developer. Like, they're developers themselves. They don't fucking know. Right. This From Software wants to make games like... You don't know that. In fact, Miyazaki's gone on a statement saying, oh, the fact that difficulty dissuades players from our games mm-hmm. makes me sad. Okay? That's right, gamers. You make Miyazaki sad. Tell me about this shit before I get madder. It's just the worst sort of echo chamber that I could ever think of. But number three, Corey Barlog, Matt Thorson, and other developers come forward to speak their mind on accessibility in gaming. It seemed like you couldn't open Twitter last week without hearing about the important topic of accessibility in gaming, a discussion sparked by the recent release of Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Oh, that's a good game. Yeah. Sekiro's landed with the hardcore from software fans for its challenging systems, fast-paced combat, and focus on technical pairing encounters. Many have expressed the sense of triumph that comes with mastering and besting a boss, but many others have come forward on Twitter to express frustration with its fixed difficulty. A conversation has arisen over the want for accessibility features in this game as well as other titles. Cries of, get good, and from software games don't need an easy mode have been shouted over the conversation, but quite frankly, the point is being missed. Steven Spahn, COO of the organization Able Gamers, has been a vocal proponent in the conversation as a disabled gamer himself. He took to Twitter with some thoughts across multiple threads as he expressed frustrations with not being able to play the game and what an accessibility mode could mean. Um, He had a lot of threads going on. I kind of distilled some of, like, I think the more key points, so so if you want, go over to his Twitter. It's at Stephen Spawn. Um, he does some great work with Able Gamers and just trying to spread the word about all that stuff and making gaming more accessible for people. Mm-hmm. So, quote, accessibility means options, not easy gameplay, Spawn wrote in a tweet on Friday. In any game, whether it's Sekiro, Dark Souls, or any other skill-based game, there should be options to allow your health to be modified, your enemies' help to be modified, and the game speed adjusted. This does not make the game easy. It allows people to make the game equal. He has since responded to a lot of criticism. Quote, a lot of people yelling at me are saying, Dark Souls is meant to be hard. So the question is, what becomes easier? What is slightly difficult for you might be downright impossible for me. Difficulty settings aren't meant to make a game silly easy. It's a scale. End quote. Emboldened gatekeeping and exclusionary statements have been thrown around with many proclaiming that easy modes or accessibility options would ruin the vision of the developer. Spawn responded, quote, People, influential people, journalists, and media outlets are making this confusing by continuing to use the language easy mode. Accessibility means options, not easy gameplay. In fact, I'm going to begin calling it equal mode, where the options are in place so the game can be made difficult, stay within the artist's visions, and still have people 
still allow people to play the way they have to. Since Friday, many devs have come forward to Spawn's defense. God of War's director, Corey Barlog, tweeted in response saying, quote, accessibility has never and will never be a compromise to my vision. To me, accessibility does not exist in contradistinction to anyone's creative vision, but rather it's an essential aspect of any experience you wish to be enjoyed by the greatest number of humans possible. End quote. Devs from a variety of studios, big and small, echoed Barlog's sentiment that accessibility does not compromise their vision. Even Matt Thorson of Celeste has since come forward to imagine what an accessibility mode would look like for Sekiro. Quote, if Sekiro had a Celeste-style assist mode, combat speed would be 50 to 100%, sets game speed while enemies are aggro, resurrections, one or infinite, invisible while sneaking, infinite posture, invincible while drinking gourd or always. Important elements of assist modes of hard games, in my opinion, are activated only from the menu per save file, so it's invisible to people playing without it, has a clear explanation of what it is up front once active, and you can adjust assist options at will during gameplay. Thorson also wrote, I think the most important options are the in-between ones, things that let the player fine-tune the game rather than make it trivial. End quote. So I, I think these are all good points, and I think the, the most succinct point is that it's not about an easy mode in the game. It's about accessibility options in the game. Mm -hmm. Options. Options that players don't have to engage with if they don't need to or do not want to. Mm -hmm. It does not ruin the rest of the game. Now, the other flip of this argument is that that is, of course, going to incur resources from a developer. Mm -hmm. They have to bake these into a game. But what we're seeing is that most devs, once they start to understand how players engage with their titles or how maybe that not everybody can engage with a title that they feel should be more accessible, then I think that's a conversation that they have with themselves and think like, fuck, yeah, we should bake this in. And mm -hmm. it seems like from what I'm seeing from, you know, the, the echo chambers online is that developers are pushing for these features. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, we want more people to experience our shit. And then you got the other side. You got the other side that says, no, fuck you. You're ruining our games and we're protecting developers' visions. What? But that's what? the crazy thing because in the response to all this, you see all these devs echoing the fact that Barlog said, yes, accessibility does not prohibit my vision at all. It actually like helps. It helps kind of get my game out there to more people. And that's what you want at the end of the day. You want your product to be experienced by as many people as possible and i think that's great that people are kind of coming forward and bolstering that response yeah like to ask those questions and to point out like hey it would really 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 make a big difference in my life if i'm able to enjoy these games in a way that maybe able players cannot I think the crazy thing, too, is um, all these people shouting about developers' visions who don't know any better. Like, a lot of these things that are being used, like that uh, Matt Thorson speaks of, they're mods that, like, they use to kind of playtest the game in interesting ways anyway. So they're things that can be easily baked in. Sure, like you said, it takes a little mm -hmm. more time and resources. But at the end of the day, I think it's more worth it. And I think it'll it lots them a better product that they can be more proud of if they're like, yeah, we added this in here and it helped people enjoy the game or made it accessible to them. Mm -hmm. You know, not easy necessarily, but, you know, for people like uh, Steven Spawn who can't necessarily play games for one reason or another he's now allowed to and i think that's great yeah and what i, what I love seeing <clears throat> is that the bigger studios uh are actually going out to subject matter experts like steven mm -hmm. and asking hey how can we make our game more accessible what options can we implement um in fact we had the the good fortune of engaging with one such expert ian hamilton mm -hmm. uh, you can find him online but he's helped big studios and kind of kind of shape their game apparently uh ubisoft has been greatly informed by experts such as himself with what they've done for like just look through a menu of an ubisoft 
game. Look through Division 2 right now. Look at all the sliders. Look how you can make the mini-map actually bigger or smaller. Mm -hmm. You can customize the HUD yeah. to your liking in case you can't see it too well. The text is still too fucking small in that game, but that, that, that's a thing. But there I'm are games question. that, though, have that option where right. it's like, for us, it's like, oh, this is a neat little thing where I can't see it as great, like a small subtitle text, but I make it bigger, and I'm like, oh, cool, that's a little enhancement. But for somebody else who who is desperately in need of accessibility features... That might mean so much more to them to be like, oh, this is for me. These are because I can't, you know, see this is readily capable. Or the thing with the quick time events in Uncharted, like being able to hold a button versus like mashing it, like that just makes it so much easier and able for mm -hmm. them to, to handle. Um, I don't remember his name, the blind gamer he's known as though. Yes, he, he's guested on uh, Kind of Funny a few times. He's informed a lot of studios in terms of like color gradients and things in games that he just can't outright see mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, levels or characters or like lighting and dungeons and stuff like that. So he's helped inform certain devs of like, hey, maybe you can add this little feature and it'll help people like me, you know, be able to see or navigate the game a little better. Yeah, then there's there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I, I support the shit out of that. Mm -hmm. I think Sekiro is being used as this primary example of the divide between what some people believe as like, hey, not all games are going to be made for everybody. And then the other side going, well, why can't we still push for that? Mm -hmm. You know, we're not saying that you, you can't make a game that doesn't have accessibility features. Mm -hmm. We're just saying it would be better if you did. That That's, that's honestly the whole argument. Yeah. I feel like the ones that are a, a kind of... Um, lambasting it and kind mm -hmm. of against the idea of adding accessibility features are some of the loudest right now for no fucking that's reason. That's true. I mean, their the experience will never be impacted. But it's like we talked about last week because we, we did a whole topic about it. Like those are some of the, you know, gatekeeping types, the exclusionary types who want to yeah. kind of hold the product to their own because they, they feel like they own it. And like the more people that come into it, it's like, no, 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 you, you don't belong to this product like I do. Like I'm this from software tryhard. I got good at these games. I mastered them before you even thought of them. And it's just like, right. It's this weird mindset. I, I'm not against the, the thought Elitism, really it is elitism it is yeah. and i'm not against the mindset that not every game is for everyone sure not every game is for everybody like there are games that i can look at that i don't want to play but you know to echo the sentiment you just said that doesn't mean that every game couldn't be for everyone you know that no. doesn't mean that like these games couldn't be available to people if they wanted to play it like there's a flavor for everybody but mm. you know just make it so people can actually access it and have a hand at it you know and you can't think of it as uh as something that's encroaching on the what you consider to be the default or primary experience for a mm -hmm. game again these are accessibility options options i've seen a lot of argument from the the vocal majority the the get good gamers who are like well there are books out there that have language that might be a little higher than you're used to reading and words that you don't understand and it's like well you if you don't have a certain vocabulary you obviously can't read a book like what i don't understand that that argument at all yeah you can make whatever fucking analogs that you want mm -hmm. it's 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 really just besides the point mm -hmm. <laughs> i i feel like yeah. it's like hey man i can't fucking outpace a train so you know i guess i shouldn't run i'd still think it'd be inconvenient to make trains slower for the rest of people <laughs> you know isn't that fucked up you don't want a slower train that's fucked up that's not the intention of the engineer like fuck you yeah like what is it we're not talking about the same thing are we no. we're just talking about a video game that has less options for somebody that may want to engage it because they love gaming just as much as you do mm-hmm and that's that's where I'm at with it. It's like I I would love to share that experience with as many people as I, I want to because I think gaming is the coolest experience when you can share it with others. And if you lack the ability to do that because of a lack of accessibility features mm -hmm. or a game just being too hard that people like just quit it and can't do it, then like it compromises that idea. You know, <laughs> you can't look at inclusivity in gaming as like you losing land. 
Mm-hmm. You know, here's a mindset. So apparently PC Gamer had an article that uh, they said that they beat Sekiro using cheats and they feel absolutely <laughs> fine. And hey, on the record, save room. I'm going to speak for both of us, Daniel. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely fine. I got to wonder what cheats they used. I yeah i mean my, my I, sword's longer <laughs> i've used a little cheese methods here and there that i've heard yeah. of and you know got gotten a lot of death blows where i probably didn't think i could but that that's about it yeah well mm. it probably what, what was it invincibility you think invincibility might have been the thing maybe that been maybe a mod i guess because yeah. it is on pc too so be some long fights otherwise yeah. but 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 uh we had one <laughs> get good gamer decide to dunk on that he's become somewhat of a meme now it's not a, not important who said this it's really just the word so we're gonna repeat the words here and then never speak of them again but they do make me fucking laugh here we go you cheated not only the game but yourself you didn't grow. You didn't improve. You took a shortcut and gained nothing. You experienced a hollow victory. Nothing was risked and nothing was gained. It's sad that you don't know the difference. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rorschach. You looking down at the city? <laughs> What's right. happening here? A comedian died tonight. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> what the fuck, dude? It ain't that big of a... It's a game. Dog, it's a game. Are we talking about a video game, Daniel? This is a game, right? I feel like it's a video game, yeah. Uh, means of entertainment and fun. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because, like, I don't know what this... like. What what experience would you like in this guy's fucking anecdotes to? Like, actually being a shinobi is the only thing that I can think of. <laughs> right? like, like, oh, yeah, he tried to be a shinobi, but he busted out a Glock during yeah. a sword fight. That he, is for sure forsaking. nothing. <laughs> you broke the Iron Code there, dude. That's that's not okay. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Kuro disliked that. Get this goddamn toxic gatekeeping horseshit out of my fucking industry. I will turn this industry upside down and Whoa. clean it out. <laughs> Before you let that shit fly. Yeah, what the fuck is this? I, that's it's coming from the sort of people who are like saying women should not be allowed in Star Wars anymore. Like the stuff that was going on with like The Last Jedi. That vocal majority who just like, you're screaming about something that's just nonsensical. What? And making the weirdest arguments. Yeah. Not all books are able to be read. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here what is get shut up shut up dude it's it's ridiculous it's egregious um but i i like i said i like the people that are coming forward all these big devs from huge triple a developers because they're going to set the standard um for people going forward i know a lot of indie developers have the luxury of doing things like that like you know matt thorson but the bigger people santa monica studio ubisoft naughty dog like them doing things like that only kind of lets other developers know hey we can also do this and hey it's having a positive effect on the industry and we should want to do that yeah, that's anything that's a positive mood for that can get more people on board to mm-hmm. this medium that we love and to help it grow even more and in places that we didn't expect mm-hmm. is a good fucking thing. It looks like we did gain something. I think so. We gained mm. a little bit of insight. And also, if it's on a separate fucking menu, don't look at it. Don't worry about it. Don't look at it. Don't worry about it. Don't yeah. even look at it. It's you know how many you. times I batted like a fucking eyelid uh, against Celeste assist mode? I was like, oh, cool. It's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Cool, it's there. It's there. That's all. And if you're trying to cheese those trophies, oh, baby. <laughs> assist mode. Right? Yo, real shit. In Resident Evil 2, the assist mode helped me get me the entire platinum. Because I was like, hey, I need to do some fucking speed runs without mm. getting, without using a healing item, without using an item box. I liked having the option. No, I did the same thing, actually. Yeah, yeah. Am I less of a gamer? Did I cheat myself? Should I turn in my gamer badge? Sorry, where's the sheriff? Miyamoto, are you the sheriff? No, you're not the one. Oh, Reggie? Must- Reggie? No. Oh, he quit. What the fuck? Oh, Kazurai. Where the fuck is everybody <laughs> going? That? Oh, they're running away because the gamers suck dick. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I gotta keep my badge, guys. Sorry. 
hey, you want to talk about Borderlands? Because this gamer <laughs> train ain't done. Choo-choo, next stop, Choo-choo. Arid Wasteland. Number four. Borderlands 3 has been dated for September. Now, this is a quick aside. We're just going to get through the facts here. we got some more to get into. But Gearbox has announced that their highly anticipated Schluter will launch September 13th for PC, PS4, and Xbox One. It's going to stick. Schluter's, Sidebar, Schluter's gonna I stick. hate that as much a shmup. Shmup is is an official kind of term. Yeah, which is a shorthand for shoot 'em up. Yeah, I hate yeah. it. You don't like shooter? It. it sounds gross, dude. You want to say looter shooter? Yeah, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's, it's euphonic. Hey, both Sh- are good. Schluter? I. Ugh, that sounds like an omission. Schluter. Yeah. Schlu- Here comes a schluter. Schluter. Schlu- the, uh, no, no. <laughs> the PC version will be a timed exclusive for Epic Game Store until April 2020. Uh, more on that in a minute. Mm. Just hold your rage. That's 2020 vision there. No, what? Really? Schluter. Uh, <laughs> there will be four editions of the game you can buy, ranging from the standard $59.99 to $249.99. Let's run them through them. Standard edition, that's 60 bucks. Deluxe edition, it's got three skin packs and one weapon pack. That's 80 bucks. Super deluxe edition, that includes all digital content. The season pass, which is going to include four DLC campaigns pains and then a butt stallion uh weapon mods uh that's 100 bucks hmm. butt stallion making a return uh diamond loot chest collectors edition is the most expensive edition it includes all of the above the diamond loot chest replica 10 character figurines including the new vault hunters sanctuary three snap model there's a third sanctuary i guess we destroyed it in part two and then four vault key keychains a cloth galaxy map five lithographs and a steel bookcase that's 250 bucks partner uh you missed the 500 version what the, uh, magic castle version where you get all of that and you get a month's worth of uh, magic lessons from randy pitchford <laughs> <laughs> they all take place at a medieval time yeah. <laughs> you're fed for a month but you have to hang out with randy pitchford oh man so they detailed the uh the four vault hunters are gonna be okay. there i didn't detail them i didn't write about them uh play the game i don't yeah. know what to tell you it's coming out in september that's not that far they're away. doing this thing i think like every yeah. month where they're revealing more and more whether it's character breakdowns or okay. gameplay breakdowns throughout the oncoming months and it's just like okay that's cool like sure as long as randy isn't doing it as long as we can get somebody else to reveal more of the game we're fine we're fine (sighs) i have the community manager there she's great she's wonderful she needs more face time not the fucking wannabe magician that's that's all i'm saying that is all i'm saying now you mentioned something to me uh i didn't like it Mm -hmm. i didn't like it even though there is characters from tales from the borderlands in the game including reese as revealed in the launch trailer Mm -hmm. Troy Baker's not coming back. Apparently not. Wow. I don't think it's because he didn't want to, because he actually voiced his opinion on Twitter that he would have loved to have come back if they asked him, but nobody's asked him to yet. I, I'm not going to say they got to bring him back, but they probably should, because mm-hmm. I feel like Tales from the Borderlands, for a lot of people, was was kind of an introduction to the franchise beyond the normal games. Because I feel mm-hmm. like there were people that were not interested in Borderlands that were totally about Fiona and Reese's story. Mm-hmm. And, and Loaderbot. Yeah, and Loaderbot. And was it Gordis? Gordis, yep. played by Ashley Johnson? Like, fuck, you're not going to get back Ashley Johnson for Gordis? Wait, did she die at the end of it? <laughs> Spoilers. Fuck. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> you know, so yeah, bring back Troy Baker. But then again, we're seeing some weird moves in the industry mm-hmm. as of late. Um, Capcom, for instance, chose not to use any unionized actors, voice actors, for Resident Evil 2. Oh, weird. Um, I'm wondering if this is a similar situation where they're trying to kind of go with, you know, 
people that aren't a part of the SGA? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Then I can't confirm. I, they haven't announced who's returning at all because there's a lot of voice. Like, uh, was it Jamie Marchie played uh, Ellie mm-hmm. in the game? She's a pretty notable voice actress. Uh, there's a few others. Chick that played Gage. I've met these people. That's why I'm naming them okay. specifically. Dave Eddings is not coming back. We already know that. Yeah. That, well, that was a big one because he was pretty... Was that an assumption thing, or did he actually say on Twitter he wouldn't be coming back? Oh, actually, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might be jumping on an assumption, but like he doesn't work at Gearbox anymore, mm-hmm. and he's doing other things, and it didn't seem like it was an amacable exit. So, I don't know. Because it was just like, one day, he's a VP of everything, and yeah. then the next day, it's like, hey, I'm going to... <laughs> right. I mean, I imagine within <laughs> yeah. the next few months of promotional stuff and reveals, we're mm-hmm. going to get more and more like that. Um, I, I would like to have all the original voice actors back, Me because too. that would really bring the experience home to us. And, I mean, part of why we love a lot of those characters, sure, the writing was, was great and fun, but, like, we fall in love with those characters because of the people who are performing behind them, so, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. True facts, buddy. True facts on here. Do any of these additions speak to you, or are you just going to go standard all out? Um, I might get the one that comes with the season pass okay so the hundo dollar one i think okay yeah because i i would want the extra content especially if it's anywhere as good as part two's dlc like tiny tina Mm. sorry it had an actual stupid name badasses Um, and bunkers no that's not the real name the real name of it was something like assault on dragon's keep or some stupid shit like that but bunkers and badasses the in-game game that they were playing Mm -hmm. is a much better name yeah no i'll say for like 40 bucks more like they really do know how to stuff those dlcs with a lot of content and a lot of grind and a lot of loot and a lot of situations and quests so like Mm -hmm. it's it's worth it i think because i've retroactively bought the DLCs for all these games when I should have probably just bought them all at once. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're like, you know, especially since, it, you know, the game's not out yet, that mm-hmm. they're withholding the idea of extra characters, extra playable mm. characters, because more characters came to part two. Gage. Uh, the, and the Psycho. What's the Psycho's name? Krieg? Krieg. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder if there's, you know, it would be cool to see returning characters as playable characters. That'd be neat, actually. I want to play as Maya again, man. Ooh, I want to play as Gage again. She was so cool. The Macromancer, yeah. dude? Fuck yeah, yeah. Where's Gage in part two? Part three. Eight. Precincts. <laughs> Where am I? Where is she? <laughs> All right, so stemming off of this, you might have heard me say something uh, in particular involving Epic, a store, and Borderlands. <laughs> so, number five on here is Steam tosses out user scores for Borderlands 1 and 2 after fans review bomb the fuck out of them <laughs> so uh some of the story is brought to you by polygon ons good uh wrote some of this so go check out his article last month valve introduced a new off-topic review activity flag that's not flavorful in order to combat review bombing of games by what polygon describes as quote gamers who are unhappy with their publishers or developers over something else end quote <laughs> which is actually like a huge thing that people have been doing lately yes like review bombing i've <laughs> I've never heard of as being as rampant as it is within like the last six months. It's, it's interesting. We'll get into a little bit. So this flag was raised for the first time for Borderlands 2, which was later extended to Borderlands 1, and apparently also they had to do it for the pre-sequel. Mm. I already wrote this before. Apparently every game was hit on Steam. Oh, wow. So on Steam's customer review page for the game, there's a note stating that reviews from April 3rd to April 6th do not count toward the game's rating due to, quote, an abnormal set of reviews that we believe are largely unrelated to the likelihood that you would enjoy the product, end quote. <laughs> yeah. Wow. In Borderlands 2 case, over 4,000 reviews have been exclu- excluded for this reason. 
the cause for ire? Well, as we mentioned, Borderlands 3 will be exclusive to the Epic Games Store launcher and will not come to Steam until spring of next year. Just like Epic's prior exclusivity deals, the reaction to this news hasn't been great. Uh, Randy Pitchford had some thoughts on the negative review spike that he shared on Twitter. Quote, that this misuse is possible and that Steam has no interest in correcting this misuse makes me kind of happy about 2K's decision and makes me want to reconsider Gearbox Publishing's current posture on the platform. End wow. quote. I think he stated this before they actually uh, initiated the flag. Okay. I wonder if they did it because, the, man, Randy does work magic, doesn't he? <laughs> Slide a hand. <laughs> Makes a tweet and something happens. <laughs> so uh, Rami Ismali, who is precisely 50% of indie studio Vlambeer, posted on Twitter stating, quote, all previous Borderlands games getting review bombed over Take-Two's decision to publish on the Epic Game Store first is ridiculous. User reviews are slowly becoming less and less defensible as a measure of game quality, and platforms without them are a safer bet for launch. Yeah, so that's a big thing to say. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to get a rebuttal on there. Now, Chet Falazek, that's a hell of a name, a former Valve writer and current co-founder of studio Stray Bombay, rebuted this sentiment on his Twitter. Quote, counterpoint, review bombing is making it clearer and clearer that players have no effective means of communication with developers where they feel their voices will be heard. So they use the one avenue available to them. We can throw out reviews or... We can fix communication, hmm. end quote. Uh, I think that's actually a very interesting sentiment, too. Yeah. Where it's like, damn, it's a shitty thing to hear that you know people are flexing their muscle in the only way they know how, but is it because they don't feel they have enough avenues to do so? Do they feel like the avenues that they use are not getting responded to effectively? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the times, the, the community team uh, for a developer is you know a handful of people, maybe even just one person running social media and kind of being there as the buffer for all of the feedback that's coming through. And the statement that we always hear is that we are listening. Mm-hmm. We take your feedback seriously. And that seems to be the boilerplate. In fact, you can get a degree by just being able to say that when it comes to fucking marketing. But, <laughs> but just the mentioning, though, of social Social media. Mm-hmm. I, I have to counter his counter in that um, I feel like counter. we Perry. I feel oh. like we have such an avenue for communication now as con- sure. consumers across uh, platforms like Twitter or comment sections that you don't really need to go to this bombastic degree of review bombing to make yourself be heard. People are listening, like you know, PRs or social media managers. They're out there. They hear what people are saying. It's just hard to act on it right away, and sometimes yeah. it's before it's too late. You know, and that's that's kind of the point that mm-hmm. I'm making is that there's a funnel point. Yeah. And typically, it's either one person or a small team of people that Mm -hmm. are supposed to be the Metatron for a developer. And usually they're good at pumping up and advertising the game. But when shit goes wrong, we hear a lot of silence. Mm Because in a lot of instances, it is not good to overpromise on certain things that that may have a long fix behind the the scenes. Like Mm -hmm. Anthem is a very good example of that. Where it's like, yes, we hear you and we've heard you repeatedly. Mm -hmm. But some of the things you're asking for are going to take forever. And then we're going to get into why that may be the case. One word. But fucking frostbite. Um, so. We do get the statements eventually, though. I mean, it, it happens. Like people like Todd Howard, Casey Hudson, Michael Gamble—they're listening mm-hmm. to everything. And sure, it, it might take a few weeks, and that's not as immediate as people want. Especially when at that point they've probably given up on the game that they're complaining about. But like they're trying to funnel and do what the best they can to remedy. They need a solution before they sure. can, you know, make a statement on things like that. Yeah, of course. And that's <laughs> that. That is the uh, status quo yes. when it comes to uh, uh, social media management. Mm-hmm. And publisher 
developer customer relations that is the standard but it seems like because of the immediacy of social media mm -hmm. and the way that we use our channels and have multiple channels not just one when a developer or publisher does not enact on that feedback almost instantaneously mm -hmm. in the same way that people are able to leave it anger seems to continue to get riled up mm. you know and I, I i would almost caution people to understand it's like there's an effective and respectful means to leave feedback you don't have to fucking flame a studio mm. i don't think there's anything wrong with saying i am dissatisfied with your business decisions mm -hmm. and maybe i won't support it but i feel like in this instance in this specific instance the best way that you can say i do not like epic games snagging exclusivity on this games is to not buy the games on that platform. I think that is, yes, your most effective and vocal way of taking a stance. Review bombing two games that are, what, nine years old? And how, how, how old are they? Sorry, seven years? And Borderlands like, 1 came out in 2009, and Borderlands 2 came out in 2012. So two, yeah. two games, one's seven years old, one that's 10 years old. You're yeah. review bombing these games to make a statement Beloved about Borderlands games. 3. Yeah. Like, the, the reviews are already in for these games. People have already mm -hmm. stated that they love them. Like, so you're... It just seems like a weird call to arms, you know? The same flip of the coin, it seems to be effective. This review bombing gets people to pay attention. Look, we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Articles have been written about it. And studios say some shit about it. You got Randy Pitchford to fucking put down his yeah. card deck to tweet about it. So, <laughs> you know? What is so, it? Do you think it's just that people's allegiance to Steam as a platform was so steadfast that like they really don't hmm. want to have to worry about jumping to a more nascent platform? I think... Um, that's a very interesting question, and if I can get this link working, I would be very happy to try to start answering it. Because Nathan Grayson of Kotaku asked the same questions, and he wrote an article which is required reading, mm -hmm. save roommates. If you don't want to read, then... From software is not making books correctly. I'm sorry. What was the argument earlier? That <laughs> um, why people are so mad about the Epic Games Store? Nathan, Nathan Grayson wrote it on Kotaku, and he made a few points about it. Um, when Metro Exodus was uh, kind of <laughs> hoisted over to the Epic Games Store uh, as an exclusive, even though it was able to be pre-ordered on Steam, I think that this literally happened like a few weeks before it was supposed to release. Mm -hmm. so it was like, hey, it's an Epic exclusive now. People were pissed about that. That's that's a weird move, especially to do to customers and without having any kind of like knowledge beforehand or kind of warning that it was going to yeah, occur. Especially when they paid for pre-orders. Yeah. And then so Steam or Valve came out right and was just like, we think that's unfair. And so we're already getting that planted onto the customers going like, look, yeah, you're right. That's unfair competition. But yeah. when it comes to the big boys and the big bucks, there's no such thing as unfair unless you're literally some, somehow walking into Valve Studios and like kicking down their fucking PC towers. Mm -hmm. That's not what's happening here. They are flexing their financial muscles and that in a fair market is completely fucking fair mm -hmm. to do i mean we've seen it happen so many times with time sony exclusive time mm -hmm. xbox exclusive time sure. pc exclusive nintendo exclusive this isn't like a new thing for no people. exclusivity is not a new thing like, for the industry at large but it might be kind of new for pc players mm. or pc gamers i guess when a lot of people go to steam as their go-to right. like PC hub for gaming, yeah. Right, because Steam spent... Uh, I'm sorry. Steam, Valve, Steam, yeah. Valve. Valve spent the last 10 years fostering an ecosystem where people know it, 
they engage with it. There's friends lists on there. There's an entire catalog of games that people have that are mm-hmm. tethered to the Steam store. We're talking about hundreds of games at some point, in some cases. We have achievements. We have all of these social functions. We have a return policy that, when compared to Epic's, Epic doesn't look as favorable when it comes mm-hmm. to return policy. I don't know all the details on that, but that's what I've heard. So you, you have that going on for them. So they have this entire, like, it, it's like being told that, hey, man... <laughs> you're part of this community you've been with this community we love you we have all these features and then one day it's kind of like oh yeah um so the hot water is actually across the street at the rec center and you're like excuse me what about my shower in the community that i'm paying i don't have a pass for that place over there it's like oh we don't have hot water here anymore they bought the exclusivity to the hot water Mm -hmm. in our town so you got to go there if you want hot water oh what's it cost to go over there nothing but you got to walk across the street what the fuck? You know, like it, yeah. it, gets, it gets to be one of those things. Now, other concerns, of course, were raised, uh, including Tencent is uh, a stakeholder in Epic, and there's a lot of spyware concerns. Um, according to Tim Sweeney, CEO of uh, Epic, he says those are unfounded. There's no facts behind that. No data is shared with our stakeholders. We, they have certain uh, data practices that come off of the social elements that they used and hastily baked in the Fortnite that they also reuse for the Epic Game Store. Um, and they say that's kind of the things, mm-hmm. the things that you're seeing are bugs because people are like, look, it's looking at all of our files on our computer mm-hmm. and stuff like that, whereas Steam may not be doing that. Now, to be fair... Let's look at the 10 years versus a couple of months that Steam has, or I'm sorry, Epic has been out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been security breaches with Steam. There has been some weird data sharing practices mm-hmm. with Steam. Are we mad at them? No, because we've had what Nathan supposes is Valve telling people this is what's fair, this is what's good for uh, customers. There's a meritocracy that happens with our game curation. Mm-hmm. Only the best rise to the top and the shit goes to the bottom. And you have Epic going, well, we just pluck the exclusives. <laughs> yeah. You know, people don't like that. I get it. I get where they're coming from. But at the same time, it's not like how we deal with it with consoles, right? Well, you don't have to buy another console to play Borderlands 3. No. I mean, I've gotten burned in the past with things like uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, for example. A game that should have probably come to PlayStation first, but Microsoft got in there with the fucking sliding home run. And they're like, you know what? We're going to go ahead and uh, make this a time exclusive for a year. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to wait a year to play this game. Uh-huh. And, it, you know, it kind of peeved me. But, like, it happens. I waited. And when it came out for the PlayStation, I got, like, the best experience for it because I got all the DLC. I got this cool little, like... Uh, special edition for it so like you know I, I waited and it was worth it but yeah it's a different experience for for console users for sure where um, somebody was asking me about it um, one of our followers Tyler he was like oh how do you feel about the whole exclusivity with epic and I was like it doesn't really apply to me like mm-hmm. you know exclusivity isn't this foreign thing and like I play my games on console so it got me thinking I was like okay why would this make people mad you have a more tenured platform like steam that people have grown accommodated mm-hmm. to have features to have stake in and uh, feel comfortable using and then you have this new launcher that seems a little more unreliable by comparison. Mm-hmm. It's in its early days and it's going to take a while for Epic to get up there, but I, they have the money and resources to make it a viable platform for games like that. Right. And they say they're working these features and like achievements and all this shit, yeah. the bells and whistles are working into it, but there, there seems to be just be this kind of stigma towards it because, well, people have sworn fealty to Valve's product mm-hmm. And it is no wonder that Valve no longer makes AAA <laughs> games because that's not guaranteed money. You have people swearing online they will not buy games on any other fucking service but Steam. 
why do you even need to make a game anymore? Mm-hmm. Look, they just guaranteed you money. They said, I'm a lifelong. <laughs> That's, That's true. all you want. Yeah, Valve is just like, dude, AAA video game development is like an unsafe market. Mm-hmm. We have a single source platform that everybody already considers to be interchangeable between when you say, I game on PC, to also mean, yeah, I play on Steam. Mm-hmm. That's the same concept to the majority of PC gamers mm-hmm. out there. Stop me if I'm overreaching on that. <laughs> now, my thing is when this exclusive deal ends, which, Epic, I'm going to applaud you here. Good job getting in there and getting the exclusive rights to Borderlands. They got there, a big one, yeah. You, you probably put some money down on that, yeah. but that was smart. And I'm sure Randy Pitchford needed that money for all the suits he's been going through lately. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I'm sure when it does finally come to Steam, okay. it'll be a little more feature complete and be what people are looking for. <laughs> he's You're laughing. cracking me up that. <laughs> now, which suits? The lawsuits or his stupid fucking magician coats? <laughs> <laughs> he needs money for all of it. He's, he's hurting. Oh, they come spring-loaded <laughs> with the fucking, like, never-ending handkerchiefs. Oh, my God. Those cost a lot, guys. They do. Epic just funded that for at least six months. He hires a guy to rewind it and put it all back up his sleeve, too. <laughs> <laughs> his arm guy. But okay, yeah. it'll come out on Steam, and it'll be what people are hoping for. But until then, like, there are other means to purchase it. It's not like it's only locked to Epic. It's It's exclusive from everybody. No, we can still play it, you know? Well, how do you mean? Like, so if you're only a PC gamer, you have one choice. You have mm-hmm. one choice, which is a launcher you don't want to launch. It's just know? a launcher, though. Yeah. It's not like going out and buying a separate $300 console for a game. No, and that's my point, too, actually. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not the same, dog. It's not like if they told us, like, hey, it's an Xbox exclusive, I would be like, oh, fuck. Yeah, and that's been the problem yeah. with me and some of the exclusives out there. Like, when yeah, Cuphead yeah. was, you know, Xbox exclusive forever, I was like, so, God, I gotta get an Xbox or mm-hmm. Unearthed Ears. And I was like, I don't want to do that. But, like... It's just a launcher. There are other <laughs> launchers. You have Origins. You have an EA launcher. You have a Blizznet. You have these other things that are in place. Right. If you're worried about like privacy things and like data getting out there, I'm sorry, you're online all the time. Your data is out there. It's getting compromised. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Like, You've been compromised several times yeah. over. It, Epic wouldn't be the <clears throat> first to do it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm interested in that, too, like where that goes. Because, <clears throat> I mean, that, those are some pretty lofty fucking accusations coming at Epic about their service being yeah. spyware. Yeah. I'd like them to maybe give customers more confidence in that beyond sure. just a simple, like, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. You know? I would, I would want, like, a little more tangible proof than that. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's like, yeah, then I would, I would suggest to users that if that is your concern, then don't mm-hmm. buy there. You know? True. But it's like, I don't think you're going to move Gearbox to fucking suddenly say, oh, okay, here's all your money back, Epic. The gamer's too mad at us no. not to sell on Steam. <laughs> no, dude, that's... We're talking... <laughs> Steam is a fucking monopoly. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking monopoly because it is. It has got a fucking loyal following that would try to make moves like that and be like, oh, we're going to fucking just burn down every company that tries to compete with you, Steam. We love you, Steam. We've had two like, instances of this in the last two months between Metro uh, Exodus and Borderlands. It's just like they are stodged diehards. Right, and it'll, <laughs> it'll keep happening. And I, I don't know what's, what's going to give. I don't know what's going to happen first but i do think that there is some as mr chet was saying here there is something to the fact that like maybe we don't have the proper avenue for feedback but Mm. i would also say maybe the feedback coming in isn't totally founded maybe i think exclusivity concerns totally fine Mm -hmm. uh saying i don't like business practices because they seem anti-consumer totally fine Mm -hmm. But somebody who's willing to fucking just review bomb a thing, I don't know what they're actually saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what statement you're trying to make there. It's, yeah. I don't know, it's kind of extreme. My thing is like, okay, as a gamer, as somebody, say I was a PC gamer, my one concern was, 
I don't care about all that stuff. How does it run on the Epic Launcher? Is it actually a stable experience? Is I'm actually getting the frame rates that I want? Is it feature complete? Like, that's the stuff I'm worried about, you know? Sure, sure, yeah. I think that would make more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, hey, we don't like using this launcher because it's actually, in, like, an in, mm-hmm. inoptimal gaming experience. It doesn't seem like that's the case. I mean, we've seen how many games run off of it, though. We have Fortnite and Metro Exodus, and I don't really know how 80s. many... So what, like three games? There's there, there's only like a handful of games yeah, on yeah. the launcher. It's it's, it's a, still very early. It's, it's pretty scant. It's super early, and that's why that's probably why Epic's making the moves that they're doing. Going mm-hmm. like, shit. Well, organically, people aren't coming over. Well, actually, that is kind of happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, some devs are saying, hey, I'm not gonna sell on Steam anymore because the cut makes more sense over at Epic. I get more profit shares. You what? Know? It's like a thirty percent cut versus a twelve percent cut, or twelve yeah, percent on Epic and thirty percent from Steam. So it makes more sense for developers to want to go to that platform financially. Yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. And then also, um, they they get to rather than having like the the single source kind of review system like we've seen, they manage their own communities and manage their own reviews and da 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 stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that's up to each uh, publisher or developer okay. to take care of. And that's kind of that's might be more interesting to a developer that just wants a stymie kind of stuff like this, where mm-hmm. it's like, fuck, it's hard to tell if you guys like us or hate what our publisher did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like are you mad at 2K games? Why are you hurting Borderlands to get at 2K games? Why don't you tell 2K games? And it's like but again like I said, I think Chet might have a point there where it's like, yeah, you can randomly at somebody on Twitter, which I do not agree with. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you can just review bomb the shit to make a statement. I, I get that. But it's also like, so what what are we trying to say with it, though, that we don't want exclusives ever again? <laughs> I think I think that's happen. the outcry. But here's the thing that should some... happen, actually. It makes the market better See, because I don't want Steam to be the only fucking launcher in town forever no. because they're going to rest on their laurels and they're not going to change their practices. And they're not going to. I mean, I think uh, Andre Renee made the best point today saying, don't get mad at Epic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Epic's the new kids in town trying to make their own business work. Don't get mad at 2K for making a financially sound decision. Don't get mad at the developer for just going along and saying, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. 2K saying that they want this. They actually bankrolled our game, so we have to go with what they yeah. say. Get mad at Valve for not fighting back, for not making their business practices more attractive to developers and publishers. Mm-hmm. Get mad at them for cutting, for making a 30% cup despite being a fucking monopoly for the last 10 years. They got the money to do the shit. Get mad at them. Review bomb Valve. Exactly. <laughs> Review bomb the the games that they made 200 years ago. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you know? So, kudos to that. All right. We got to get into our... This is kind of our main news topic. Sure. I um, feel like we had like two kind of soft pedal news topics. We did. We yeah. did. We, we, we made a vow to ourselves to make these bad boys shorter and we just broke... We. Nothing was gained and nothing was lost, Daniel. We didn't want to cheat ourselves with this one. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, number six on here is that Jason Schreier has released a massive expose behind Anthem's troubled development. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we're, about a, in, we're about a week late on this one because this broke like early last week. It did. I think we already recorded an episode and mm-hmm. it was, like it was out, right? We're like, shit, Schreier's at it again. God damn it. Actually, Schreier <laughs> technically has another article oh today. God. We're not going to discuss that article, but it is about Dragon Age 4, but it kind of stems off of this. So uh, let's work through it. Okay, kids? The video game industry's very own Mothman, Jason Schreier, published on Kotaku an extensive account of Anthem's rocky development titled How? Bioware's Anthem went 
wrong. The article is based on interviews Schreier had with 13 anonymous individuals that worked on the game in some capacity and paints a picture of, quote, indecision and mismanagement, end quote. According to the article, during Anthem's six-year development cycle, the teams at Bioware struggled with the difficulties of using the Frostbite engine as mandated by EA, an overlong pre-production stage that continued even after its first E3 2017 reveal, and bullish upper management insisting the project would turn around once an intangible force they referred to as Bioware magic took hold. I'm still waiting for that Bioware magic to take hold of me. Let me tell you what, <laughs> my life is a mess. <laughs> so here's a quote from someone that worked on the game. There's going to be quite a few, but they really speak for themselves in this mm-hmm. one. So I wanted to kind of like get that down. But again, you should definitely read this article. It is a journey, but it's very good. Yeah, it's like a 20 to 30 minute read. And honestly, like all the stuff we're going to talk about is very telling of the end product that we got with Anthem. Right. Very telling. And it's it's really a sad story. It's yeah. not even a story you can get like mad. It's just like, fuck, that almost worked or this almost happened. And it just, it didn't. It didn't because a lack of vision, a lack mm-hmm. of strong direction and just time mismanagement. And this is, this is such around. a a flagship story too for probably other developers and publisher relationships where it's like mm-hmm. this is not the only time this has probably happened in the Mm-mm. industry you know Mm-mm. lack of vision indecision all this other stuff yeah so i think uh forbes was making the point when they're talking about this article that um we had a similar conversation about red dead redemption 2 mm-hmm. in their endless crunch cycles and that conversation went away probably because that game was super super successful you know this game isn't so it's a little easier for people to swallow that pill of like yeah mismanagement got us here Mm -hmm. but it's like don't we got to stop looking at the end product it's really just a byproduct of the inputs you know what i'm saying i mean despite how well red dead redemption 2 did and it fucking did phenomenally Mm -hmm. um i don't think we've forgotten the conversation surrounding crunch or the impact that it's had on the industry it's definitely made us all a lot more aware and this should also make you aware of things in a different regard too right we should constantly be aware so here's a quote from someone they worked on the game They talk a lot about the six-year development time, but really the core gameplay loop, the story, and all the missions in the game were made in the last 12 to 16 months because of that lack of vision and total lack of leadership across the board, end quote. Though Bioware originally announced Anthem would launch in fall 2018, it wasn't until the beginning of 2018 that the game's first mission was implemented. Fuck! That blew my mind when I read that. Fuck! (laughs) Participants interviewed revealed a climate of stress-induced anxiety and depression rampant among Bioware employees. On one interviewee told Schreier, quote, I actually cannot count the amount of stress casualties we had on Mass Effect Andromeda or Anthem. And then he went on to explain, or they went on to explain, a stress casualty at Bioware means someone had such a mental breakdown from the stress, they're just gone for one to three months. Some come back, some don't. Wow. End quote. The article also points to a lack of alignment between Bioware's Edmonton, Austin, and Montreal studios. One former developer said, quote, Anthem is the game you get from a studio that is at war with itself. Edmonton understandably has a perspective of, we are the original Bioware. Anybody not part of that brand is lesser and does not garner the same level of trust as people that are in the Edmonton office, end quote not good not a good environment to foster i think there might be some rivalry especially when there's Mm -hmm. different uh departments within a same kind of infrastructure Mm -hmm. like a studio like bioware but that's not good especially when you're trying to work on the same project together no these are all studios coming from different projects mass effect dragon age and what star wars respectively Mm -hmm. and it creates a sort of 
infighting and superiority and elitism right. amongst your own teams and that's not a good climate to have perpetuating there at all yeah so some people from the austin studio were saying that they would have some inputs because they were the studio that did uh star wars the old republic so okay. they understood making an online game whereas edmonton had not mm-hmm. so because they just got off of uh dragon age inquisition which mm-hmm. is a single player game so mm-hmm. they were they had all this input about even like simple stuff that we talked about where it's like hey it's an online game but you have all this dialogue and you're forcing the player to sit there and talk to these characters don't you realize that they're not going to get any of it they're going to have one of their friends shouting over calm the entire time to go like come on man we gotta get mm-hmm. back into a mission so they had all these concerns they raised in edmonton edmonton was like huh fuck you you didn't do dai <laughs> that's ridiculous yeah. me and it, it's so apparent that this is a product of three different heads looking in three different directions and yep. not communicating effectively yep. because like edmonton or sorry austin knows what they're talking about they know how to create an online ecosystem in a game and for you know dragon well, age inquisition, those growing pains actually. yeah exactly yeah. so they know how that all works and you know sure dragon age inquisition was hailed as like a success people love that game but mm-hmm. it's a different type of storytelling a different type of gameplay experience and you have to learn how to compromise that sort of narrative experience for what bioware and ea are trying to do with this online game you know a schluter a schluter i think you you mean the schluter i won't say it <laughs> okay fine uh now yep anthem was actually originally conceived as a survival game where you and your friends venture into the game's inhospitable world to see how long you could make it players were to go out on expeditions accomplish a mission and return to their base with new alien salvage to upgrade your weapons and suit survival aspects were thrown out as they either didn't work or would be too hard to realize using the frostbite engine well it would have been anthem 76 we don't need that. <laughs> we need Anthem 77. No. No. A former employee told, quote, Frostbite is like an in-house engine with all the problems that entails. It's poorly documented, hacked together, and so on, with all the problems of an externally sourced engine. Nobody you actually work with designed it. <laughs> so you don't know why this thing works the way it does, end quote. Another said, quote, Frostbite is full of razor blades. Wow. End quote. I, yeah. I don't want to completely let limp- bass frostbite because i know it is a good engine for what it's meant to do like shooters. For battlefield games yeah for battlefield games first person third person shooters but no it's for battlefield games <laughs> that are first person it's actually a struggle to make a third person game uh, on okay. this engine very difficult to do which they had to do for uh dragon age mm. and that set them back quite a lot it's actually in the in jason's book okay. blood sweat and pixels the very troubled and tried and true times that they had with uh, Frostbite making that game. But okay, so as a first person shooter yeah. engine, it does that pretty well. Specifically, I'll, that. I'll give it that. But like <laughs> for something that's so designed and narrow in its uh, gameplay development tenets, like you kind of have to outsource and do something different if it's not helping you develop yeah. your vision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Razor blades. There, there's a lot of conversation about like, hey man, um. Because the idea to mandate all of EA Studios to use it was like, hey, we don't have to pay licensing fees Mm because it's an in-house engine. And it's like, there's some business reason to that. But when you actually come down to what is the output, how much time are are your employees Mm -hmm. and your studios wasting, struggling with this fucking engine Mm -hmm. and the tool sets within, maybe it makes a lot more sense to be like, hey, Epic, um, what's Unreal up to this week? (laughs) I mean, you have people leaving because of stress casualties. I can't imagine how many people were like breaking their minds trying to make this game work in that engine. They literally could have just paid a simple fee and be like, cool, here's a tool that you guys can use. Make the best vision you can. Yeah, what the fuck? If you want the best vision, you give your people the sharpest tools Mm -hmm. to carve it out. You don't give them a fucking cudgel and go like, yeah, man, I don't know knock down this wall <laughs> what it's, is that i mean it's definitely endemic of ea as a publisher being like hey we need you to do this thing our way but it's like you're really hurting the product because of it 
it, it just something that I've seen before. It speaks to me of a very high level decision making where they're just looking at trends mm-hmm. and just figures essentially and not getting down in the trenches and trying to understand, well, what's really going on? Mm-hmm. How can we affect this in a positive way? And it's just like, nah, mandate a thing. See what happens. Look at that. Numbers should change. No, that's not the way to do it. But Anthem released to a 55 Metacritic score, the lowest in Bioware history. One developer admitted, quote, reading the reviews is like reading a laundry list of concerns that developers brought up of senior leadership, end quote. So when a game comes out and you don't like a feature or you think it sucks, sometimes the people that made it already knew. Mm -hmm. They already knew. They knew and maybe there was no time to approach it or their leadership said it's not a priority. That's one of like the most heartbreaking things about this read where it's like they had that 12 to 16 month period to make it happen and they knew everything that they were putting into it and they knew they were falling short. Like mm-hmm. they knew by the time they hit that release date because but they only had that amount of time to really yeah. get it going really, you know? Didn't they try and push it out by the end of like EA's fiscal year or something? Yes. That was so part of the problem? it needed to come out by March 2019 to hit EA's fiscal year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why it came out at the end of February. Yeesh. So uh now bioware did release a response though schreier notes that they likely had the statement prepped before they ever read the article since their post went live at nearly the same time in fact he gave him a little shout out saying like here's the bullet points of what i'm covering do you want to comment on it he didn't give him the full article Mm -hmm. so they were just kind of going off of those bullet points uh and explained they did not participate in the story because they felt it brought an unfair focus on specific bioware team members and leadership (laughs) now this is from bioware Quote, the struggles and challenges of making video games are very real, but the reward of putting something we created into the hands of our players is amazing. People in this industry put so much passion and energy into making something fun. We don't see the value in tearing down one another or one another's work. We don't believe articles that do that are making our industry and craft better, end quote. I will say this, I appreciate all the work that you've laid out, Bioware, but fuck you. Fuck you. Of course they make this industry better because it makes people aware of the problems that it has. If you're not willing to air out those problems, mm-hmm. they will stay. Okay? That's that, That's it. That's, that's true. what it is. I mean, you have people coming forth with these heartbreaking tales of what's happening behind the scenes and it's like, you want to keep perpetuating that? No, that's that's gross practice. Yeah. <laughs> now, here here's another part of this and I, I appreciate this more than their external statement. Mm-hmm. Now, while many found Bioware's external statement dismissive of the studio's problems, it seems the studio's general manager, Casey Hudson, took it to heart. Kotaku got a hold of an internal note that Hudson sent to employees that acknowledges Bioware's struggles. Yeah, by the way, what fuck, that's some serious journalism right in there, mm-hmm. <laughs> getting their internal notes. <laughs> so here's how he led with it. Uh, quote, these problems are real. And it's our top priority to continue working to solve them, end quote. Hudson also wrote, quote, When I was offered the opportunity to return to Bioware as GM, I came into the role knowing the studio was experiencing significant challenges in team health, creative vision, and organizational focus. I was, and continue to be, excited to help drive improvements in those areas because I love this studio. And above all, I want to create a place where all of you are happy and successful. I'm not going to tell you I've done a good job at that. And on a day like today, I certainly feel like I haven't, end quote, on the day that the article came out. The note goes on to point out that the studio has made strides to improve its internal structure and clearly define career roles for employees. But Hudson admits there's much more work to do to, quote, make Bioware the best possible place to work, end quote. He ended by writing, quote, I'm committed to getting us to a place where we are delivering on the highest expectations for Bioware games. 
through a work environment that's among the very best in the world. With your help, we will get there. End quote. <laughs> I respect that, man. I admire that, yeah. I admire that. I, I respect his statement. I wish that was similar to the one that was actually released by Bioware because they were basically saying like, oh, hmm, this article is bullshit because it calls out leadership. And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, do you, why do you think it's an unfair light? Just because it paints or, or it focuses on them? Mm-hmm. What's unfair about what was said and what's happening? Because they did call out uh, EA leadership. Mm-hmm. There was a guy that like, you know, reviewed the game because they do this kind of annual thing uh, around uh, Christmas break. They actually... Bioware Studios allow their employees to take home a build of the game and see what they like, make some notes, and come back with a fresh mind and say, hey, here's what we need to work on. Mm-hmm. Apparently one of the EA executives got a hold of it and said it fucking sucked. Uh, <laughs> that's paraphrasing. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, this is not the game that you promised me. And they had to pivot around that. Apparently they removed the flying mechanic like in and out over and over and over. And it wasn't until a demo that they showed him with the flying working mm-hmm. that he was like, that's the game you need to make. And everyone was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so. it's, it sucks, too, because that's, like, probably the most sound part of the game. Yeah. Um, no. So they probably spent so much time fine-tuning that and not so much worrying about everything else around it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs, but I think mm-hmm. it's a very valuable and important story that needs to be shared throughout the industry. And not just as a warning tale mm-hmm. for mismanagement in, in studio uh, culture. But it looks like they had a lack of leadership there. Mm-hmm. They had inner turmoil. They went through writers. Uh, nobody was quite sure what the story was going to be. The pre- the fact that they were yeah. months in and they didn't know the narrative direction of it is right. such a it's a problematic start in the first place. Right. This whole anthem of creation shit. No, they wanted to call the game Beyond mm-hmm. for a very long time, and at the last minute they were like, "It's too hard to try the to trademark, trademark this." So they were told right before the EA demonstration that it was called Anthem. Like, the studio was like, what the fuck does Anthem mean? Like, the people working on the game did not know what Anthem meant. So that is something that affects it. You need to have a goalpost for your teams to be like, we're working toward this. We're mm-hmm. working. We have a, a synergy. We're going toward this. These parts are going to be done. Here's the deliverables. And it wasn't until those last 12 to 60 months that Casey was running around and just going like, just focus on what you have in front of you and get that done. <laughs> That's it. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about these problems. Don't do that. And there wasn't enough of that happening throughout its lifespan. It's not a great tale, but I think it's an important tale. No, I agree with you. It, it's unfortunate that that entire project was in such flux, because I feel like if all the teams were on the same page, if they had the right direction, if they had the, the right leadership and vision, they could have really put out something special. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't like marching towards this deadline, knowing, okay, we got to get out by February 19th or whenever it was, they probably could have had more time to incubate it and bake it and get a feature complete game out there and not have to worry about doing it all on the tail end now under this media fire. Mm-hmm. It's it's really unfortunate, and um, I know some of the people on the Edmonton team were also. There was an anecdote they were talking about uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, how it's kind of a similar story of like there there were the stress casualties. It was a lot of like really stressful nights and days and hard hours and all this other stuff, and um, they were hoping that game would bomb so Bioware couldn't march forward and do something similar like they did with that game. What? Yeah, like that's insane to hear that they were just hoping that that game wouldn't do well so that their practices could finally like their hope was, OK, if it reviews poorly or it doesn't sell well, EA and Bioware will look at their practices and be like, wow, this is probably why. And it'll, you know, do differently. But unfortunately for that team, that game sold so well and they're probably going to keep perpetuating that mindset of what they've been doing. Mm. I think in, the, in the instances like this, you know, you hear stories like this and I think Jason Schreier's out there doing the right work. Mm-hmm. 
and then I'm thinking in the back of my head, it's like, oh, we're review bombing some old ass Borderlands mm-hmm. games because we don't like that it's going to be on a launcher that we don't want to launch. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why don't we just kind of redirect that passion to mm-hmm. like situations like this where it's like when you hear that people are stress casualties, <laughs> which is like a military term. Like that, really, by the way, that affects me on a deep level. Just knowing people yeah. that are like working themselves to death and having to take like one to three month vacations that they probably don't even come back from because they're just so physically enervated from the whole process. Like that's right. sad. That's unfortunate. Why aren't, why aren't we review bombing EA going like, yo, how the fuck <clears throat> did you let this happen to one of the best studios in the industry? Right. I, I get that a game, a piece of art, it doesn't come without time or effort. Like that stuff takes time. You can't just yeah. like sit down and be like, okay, we're going to make a game in a month and boom, it's going to be done. Like, no, no, it takes time. It takes vision. It takes a lot of hard work. It's, and sometimes like in the case of Red Dead Redemption 2 and the Hauser brothers, sometimes it takes like 50 hour work weeks or more, more effort in there, but it shouldn't come at the cost of your employees. You know, it, it never should. You know, if, if you're working your people like that, you need to take a step back responsibly as a, a studio and be like, what are we actually doing here? You know, if we value the people who are putting out the products, is this worth it for them? You know, is it worth it for us? But it's it's hard when you have that publisher business mindset behind it. Like, no, no, meet deadlines. Put this game out. Make the money. Make the money. We'll figure it all out later. It doesn't matter. Like, people are going to buy it. And it's like, it's just a shitty mindset. <laughs> yeah, it is a shitty mindset because it's like, especially with service games, people are telling you we don't like the launch first, fix later mentality. Mm-hmm. No, it's so tired. It's very tired and it affects our trust in your product and even in developers that we consider great. We're just like, ugh. I don't know, like Bethesda got fucking shit on mm-hmm. hard last year for Fallout 76. Bioware getting dragged right now for Anthem. Mm-hmm. And it's because the publisher's like, no, do it. Just fucking ship it out. Yeah. No, it's fine. Do it. It's all about money. The gamers don't give a shit. They'll buy it because it's a name and we put marketing behind it. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And then let me chew on this cigar for a while. No. No, it's not the way to do it. They were rushing to meet the fiscal year for EA. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck? <laughs> EA, don't you think you would have gotten more money if they launched maybe in June or mm-hmm. August with a better product? Where people were like, oh shit, Bioware pulled it off. It got delayed like twice, but they pulled, but it, they pulled off. it off. That's a better story I think so. than this gigantic expose that Jason Schreier has to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Where he interviews 19 people saying that people are fucking just leaving the industry altogether because they can't take it. Or that your proprietary engine has fucking razor blades. Or that... <laughs> You spent four years in pre-production. Holy shit. <laughs> you spent more years in pre-production than you did actually developing the game. That's insane. That's, That's insane. fucking insane. That's fucking insane. You look at a game like um, God of War and what Santa Monica Studios did there, and that game was in five years of actual like you know development from pre-production and everything else on, and you can really tell that that was a fleshed-out vision from start to finish. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you could pivot around certain things, but, you know... Like, again, it's not just all EA as a publisher. Like, it's also within Bioware, it seems like there's some pretty systemic problems. Mm -hmm. Or there were. Casey's talking about that. It's like, uh, maybe it's a was sort of situation. Mm -hmm. Maybe he got wrangled in because, hey, we noticed there's some big problems happening here. Mm -hmm. We're not not sticking the landing anymore like we used to. Uh, So, I don't know. I I feel like in the case of a game like this where they're building a very specific vision, maybe don't have this, like, three-headed approach of, like, different studios from different ideologies. Maybe pull, like, your best talent from each team, have a satellite branch, and and work on that project, you know? Yeah. You'll have at least, like, kind of converging minds, and it it would probably make a better product in the end than what we got here. Yeah, I I don't know. I really don't. I really don't know in this case. I mm-hmm. feel like whatever the original vision for Anthem was would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Where it's a little more grounded, a little more sci-fi, a little more 
less Mass Effect, actually. It's less Mass Effect-y and a little more, like, grounded sci-fi, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of evolved into, oh, we got to do a loot shooter, because that's what's up, you know? And, oh, that was an interesting thing, too. Apparently, in development, nobody was allowed to compare it to Destiny. <laughs> like, leadership, it's a trigger word. Yeah, like, leadership made it very clear. We're not making Destiny. And even your developers were like, we're kind of making Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> we're kind of doing that. So we need to actually look at the industry leader for this type of game and mm-hmm. figure out what works there. But that was a no-go. Made it hard to kind of share ideas that way because leadership was like, don't bring up Destiny. Compare it to Diablo. Okay, yeah, that that one had a great launch too. <laughs> Two very different visions, but like, how how are yeah. you going to incubate in a bubble like that? Like, you really do need to look at the competition and what's going on in the game space. Like, don't don't look at them in a bad way. Look at them like, hey, this is what they do great. Can we do this? Can we do our own version of this? Can we make a game great in our mm-hmm. own vision, uh, despite what this game's done? You know, I don't I don't think comparing it to Destiny would have been a terrible idea. You know. Seems like Pride is is a yeah. big issue uh, around that studio because of how the name is inflated. Mm-hmm. I, I had read in the article that some people said that Dragon Age Inquisition success was actually a bad thing for the studio because mm-hmm. of that kind of mindset, where it's like we could do no wrong, we're the best. The Bioware magic is what kept on getting propagated in the studio. Like, yeah, it looks like shit right now, but it'll come together. And it's like at a certain point, it ain't. And with Anthem, it did. Well, that magic creates this this mindset of like, okay, we're going to have these headlong days of work, work, work into crunch, crunch, crunch into burning ourselves out. And it's like, cool, by the skin of our teeth, we put out this great game that people are going to love. And it's like, that didn't happen here. And it's unfortunate. And I, I, I applaud Char's work because you really do get a, a bigger sense of everything that went wrong here and how it's affected in the final product. You gotta like, call him the Mothman. Uh, the Mothman. The Mothman Shire. Um, and yeah, I, his work his work is great. He really does go out of his way to prove that there are people behind these games and there's poor decisions behind these games. And sometimes the stuff that we get stuck with, it isn't just because somebody wanted to put it out that way. There's so many moving parts and factors and it's a lot. You sometimes know? I would say a lot of the times when you get a, a situation like this or like a Fallout 76, mm-hmm. the people that are making it know <laughs> they're yeah. not like completely oblivious to the game's problems you know they're like uh that's not gonna work or mm-hmm. uh, we kind of said something but you know because of these deadlines because of trying to meet the fiscal year mm-hmm. is is a very it's a reality for game development because you can't just not everybody can be a blizzard even blizzard can't be a blizzard nah. these days they're being told no you need to churn out shit faster mm-hmm. you know like not everybody can say yeah we're gonna set on the game for fucking like eight years and when it's ready it's ready it's like you, you can't do that when it comes to being a uh a viable business you know the sad thing about this story too is that anthem sold millions it sold millions. So I don't even know if Could've this <laughs> if this expose <laughs> or the lack of sales in their mind is is going to be enough to make them stop doing it again or you know have another project mm. where they approach it in a similar fashion. You know they're like, oh, we sold millions, cool. Right. But for the amount that they marketed it and advertised it and put it out there, like I'm sure they wanted a bigger return. And at that point, when they're not meeting their return and they're not profiting the way they want to, the Bobby Kotex of the world, it's probably going to come at the cost of one of these studios, and that's kind of unfortunate to think about. Yeah, that's a very, mm, that's a big risk right there too, mm-hmm. you know? Ugh. The worst thing that I, I could imagine would be that a studio like Bioware, which is a unique voice in our industry, mm-hmm. An important made one. some great, great, great experiences that really just kind of set the bar in different forms or fashions, is just suddenly snuffed out. Mm-hmm. And it's not off the table. We saw it with Telltale. 
uh, that Telltale's very interesting voice. I, I love the direction that they're going in. And then suddenly it was like, oh, shit's rocky. What's going on? And it's mm-hmm. like a lot of that has to do with mismanagement, with maybe, uh, you know, taking on things that they shouldn't have took on, maybe overpromising, maybe mm-hmm. working with tools that were like limited. Just it is a kind of Sigma 6 situation where everything fucks it together. Mm-hmm. And that's how things get destroyed. And it's like this story is like, wow, it really tells me that that's what's going on with Bioware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Bioware is very close to that that fringe you know but they've had that like if it weren't for the success of dragon age inquisition like we probably wouldn't be talking about a bioware right now you know they would be like no <laughs> no bioware mass effect andromeda was a dud anthem might be getting terrible reviews yeah that mm-hmm. might be it so i think dragon age is the only thing that might be protecting that studio probably i think they're probably riding a lot on the fact of dragon age 4 and what that game needs to be you know mm-hmm. they're hoping it's going to be their redeeming save from grace and it, it very well might be. I really don't want to look forward in, to the future and be like, oh, wow, uh, they closed the studio and this is what happened. And, oh, Dragon Age didn't, you know, sell as well as they wanted to. So now Bioware is not a thing anymore. Like, yeah. that, no, I don't want to see that because they are such... I mean, we we rail on some of their games here and there, like Andromeda and Anthem in most recent memory for us. But it's like, they are an important voice. And they've had some of the best game experiences that we can remember in the last console generations. Yeah, Mass Effect so. is one of my most favorite experiences mm-hmm. in video games just going part one the part two mm-hmm. most of part three it's well, you know i love them even like the breadth of that trilogy they were trying to build there was so impressive for the time like okay we're gonna have these decisions that start in the first game and carry over to the third and granted they didn't end up panning out the way people hoped but i thought it was still a very cool vision and uh, the games themselves they all they had a different pedigree and quality about them but they were all great in their own respect they were super ambitious yeah they were that's huge what we need we need ambitious <laughs> studios and developers in this industry kind mm-hmm. of trying to pushed the medium forward and it seemed like for a while that's exactly what bioware did that Mm -hmm. was that was their signature pushing this medium in different directions you know Mm -hmm. and lately not so much so do you think they could bounce back from this i with the vision of casey hutchin and all the stuff that they're taking in from criticisms and review bombs and exposés like do you, do you think they can kind of with their roadmap from Anthem and everything that they're listening to do you think they can actually turn this game around and make it serviceable for people and kind of save the studios uh so i'm gonna put it kind of clearly because this is in my mind i could be totally wrong sure. we could be totally wrong about most things we say in this podcast that's how it goes mm-hmm. um i don't think Anthem is going to be the game that saves bioware mm. Even if they turn that game around, I, I think it's it's a foregone conclusion okay. right now that it's like Anthem ain't gonna do it. The story's you. told already. The story is told for Anthem, I, I believe. I don't think we're gonna see this uh, you know, eleventh hour save for mm-hmm. Anthem where everyone turns around and goes like, Holy shit, this is the Because, like if you look at Destiny, people had a lot of problems with Destiny Year One, but out of the gate that was still a solid fucking game. Yeah, it's probably one of the best shooters of the past few years. It's still a great shooter. Yeah. Anthem is not a solid game. Mm. That's just the truth of it. I think for Bioware, if we're talking about whatever's going to save them, I think we're going to see some Gearbox decisions, which is like, make another Borderlands. You know, okay. for them, it's like, make another Dragon Age, guys. Make another Dragon Age, and then, like, whatever our next project is, maybe it should be smaller. Maybe it shouldn't be this fucking, like, mm-hmm. you know, gigantic online thing. Like, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that just kind of reminds us, like, oh, wow. There is a Bioware in there still. Huh, Mm. cool. Do you ever see them going the route of like Activision and Bungie and like severing their tie from the big publisher and kind of doing their own thing? I don't know. I don't know if Bioware has that kind of... uh, Like liquid assets? Yeah. I don't think they're liquid (laughs) enough to do something like that. Okay. I think the difference is 
Bungie had two gigantic, and we're talking Halo's gigantic, and even even though Xbox or I mean say Microsoft has taken more most of the uh, uptake on that game, mm-hmm. Bungie got rich off of that. Sure. For me, I'm just like, yeah, did, did Bioware get rich off of Mass Effect? <laughs> you know, like that's a question in my mind. I was like, are they rich off Mass Effect? I know they made money, but are mm-hmm. they rich off that shit, or do they really, really need that uh, symbiosis with EA? I feel like there was a point where they were probably rolling in the bankroll from those games, but mm-hmm. like it's it's so far apart. Like Mass Effect three to Mass Effect Andromeda, that was like what four or five years, mm-hmm. and that game was a critical flop by comparison. And then I mean, take Dragon Age Inquisition. That's probably the their most popular selling title, uh, maybe behind Anthem at this point. So I think if Bioware were to make a move to uh, get out from underneath EA. Mm-hmm. Well, one, I'm pretty certain they don't own a lot of the IP that we know them for. Mass okay. Effect is EA's, as far as I'm pretty sure it's just EA's. Okay. <laughs> and so is Anthem. And so is Dragon Age. Ooh. So if they said, hey, buy, or one, they would have to buy back those IPs. I don't think they have the money to buy back those IPs. Okay. Two, if we did see them get out from EA, let's just assume they couldn't get any of that IP. It would be a lot like how Irrational uh, turned mm. into ghost story games, where it's like, hey, we're going to lay off most of our workers. We can't keep them on board. We're going to turn our staff into like a skeleton crew of like 15 to 20 people. And that's going to be the new Bioware. And we're going to try to make some interesting projects. You might hear from us again. Maybe it'll be a mobile game. I, I don't know. That's uh-huh. the only situation that I see that they get out from under- underneath EA. That's mm-hmm. it. It's too soon to tell, really. Yep. I, I really do hope Dragon Age 4 does really well, because I want to see the studio survive. But I don't want to see it at the at the cost of its people. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of it at the end of Same the day here. for me. You Same know? here. I don't want to see that either. Mm-hmm. Bioware, hope you make it. Really do. I mean that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think real quick before we cap this off, um, just on a, on a bright note, let's just talk about what we've been playing real quick, Kevin. Let's just get through this. Maybe keep it five to ten minutes, you know? Just let the people know what we've been up to. What we've been up to? Yeah. I've actually very oddly been... Uh, oddly is it odd yeah i played borderlands one again i got the game of the year edition didn't specify which year (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's 30 bucks i downloaded it i was like hey why not and to be honest um it's still good it's Mm -hmm. still it's as good as it was in 2009 maybe a little bit better when it comes to quality of life features like when you walk over ammo and shit it immediately gets picked up rather than you having to hold square or whatever to pick it up okay so they added like little new bells and whistles to it yeah you got a mini map just like in borderlands 2 and i was like oh hey this mini map's Hmm. better than when i remember there's a few things no there's a little um there's a little things little hang-ups like geometry you get stuck on geometry way more because like not every inch of the game is like codified and debugged and shit so i've had fights where it's like oh i'm backing up i'm back what am i stuck on what the fuck i remember that happened a bit in borderlands too yeah a little bit like that it's just getting stuck on geometry and some of the hit detection's a little funny Hmm. like i'm sniping and i'm just like huh i should have got (laughs) you that's weird we do talk about how the sniping is pretty on point in that game in part two it might be more on point because in part Mm. one i'm just like damn am i struggling or is doll just a bad sniper i'm I'm not sure but overall like it looks good it looks as good as the handsome collection Mm. um and i'm having fun i actually got lost doing it and yeah i saw you streaming it last night yeah i was and it's it's interesting some it's um 
I think it's a little more reserved than part two is because part two is way more in your face. Mm-hmm. It, it's like bigger, with its humor. bolder with its humor, with its story. Like it was surprising to walk up the quest givers and not have them just like go through an entire dialogue thing. Or yell a quest line at you. Yeah. <laughs> like it's actually, oh, hey, I have to read some stuff and then I walk away. It's mm-hmm. like not everything is voice lined, which is interesting. Interesting. I do remember that more yeah. of a real than experience for sure. And some of the music too is a little interesting where I'm just like, I don't remember any of the sequels using this theme. Like when you get into well, a fight and stuff. It's atmospheric. Mm-mm, yeah. Like, like whether it's like in a fight or like when you walk into a town for the first time, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. this is kind of eerie. So it's like despite its style and in spite of it being like, you know, crazy bandits saying crazy things at you, mm-hmm. you could tell the DNA of what the original Borderlands was in there. Because if you remember, it wasn't a cel-shaded game whatsoever. It was supposed to be like, you know, a serious uh, shooter. Oh, there's, I know that. there's actual like uh, screenshots of this, and at the last minute, they're like, "Now nah, we're changing the art style." And the production designer or whoever was responsible for the old art art style was like, "Yeah, okay, I quit." <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, ex- yeah, that that happened at Gearbox, but it was the right move. But you mm-hmm. can see the DNA of it here and there. Like some of the music, you're like, "This is really reserved for like wacky shit monsters coming at me mm-hmm. and stuff." You know, I think part two is tonally more like less less dissonant with itself. Interesting, but part one is got this charm man it'll always have a place in your heart like going yeah. through the arid badlands and and walking that vault hunter life yeah no that's my first uh bl right there i came to that game so late i think i played it in 2011 for the first time mm-hmm. which it was probably like a year before borderlands 2 came out so i had that hype going and i i jumped on it so after the fact oh really yeah, yeah. I, I think i played it right around when it came out and not I had the hardest time getting people to onboard with the game because mm-hmm. they're just like, it looks like a cartoon. I'm just like, no, but it's like rated M and shit. And there, there's decapitations in this game. Part two doesn't have decaps. Wow. That's okay. a fact. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, maybe because I think the, the reason was they didn't want to have to have two different skews of the game. Mm-hmm. And Japan really doesn't like decapitations. No. So they're just like, ah, just take out decaps so we don't have to have like multiple versions of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So who did you pick for your starting Vault Hunter? Lilith. Lilith. Ah, yeah. little fire bird. With fire, fire person fire bird. Fire person bird. Bird. <laughs> yeah, I forgot there was another siren in the game. Uh, Steel. Is there? Yeah, she's a siren. I didn't know that. Maybe I spoiled something, but but like she has the tattoos on her and she's like oh. talking to you over calm and shit. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. I do remember that. I'm so far removed from that game. Like all yeah, I remember here. is Angel in Borderlands 2. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Angel's back in part one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of excited to go through the DLC. I forgot uh, Dr. Ned's DLC where you fight zombies. Zombies, that's but, a really cool one. Yeah, yeah. using Jacob's guns. Oh, that's yeah, neat. So I, I mean, I'm glad you got it. I know uh, we were talking to Chelsea about it last week. She tried to get it from a GameStop and apparently they only had two copies and she got pushed out of the way and didn't end up getting one so she didn't end up ordering it online i was like oh that sucks yeah it does suck why don't you stock this game at gamestop people want it i don't know maybe they got confused because it's literally the same name as the original borderlands game of the year edition (laughs) they're like what is this skew they're like wait a second for three six is this a mistake (laughs) (laughs) yeah so what are you what have you been down with what are you doing well you and i played a little the division um i feel like we probably play a, a session or two mm. uh, in between episodes. We don't get too far, mm. um, but we ended up streaming with Chelsea uh, last weekend, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got through some missions here and there, and just kind of rolled the story along a little bit more. Uh, I'm still having fun with it. I still think it's a, a very pinnacle like loot shooter Ubisoft game. So you know, sorry, I'll... a loot shooter. I'm, I'm not familiar. With yeah, that. yeah. I said what I said. I'm not familiar with the terminology. He wants anymore. me to say Schluter, and I'm Schluter! gonna. Schluter. Oh god. <laughs> but I. I... <laughs> I don't know why I'm dragging my feet with it so hard because every time we play it, like, I feel like I'm just like, I feel like it's such a sensational experience. I'm like, wow, 
the gunplay is really great. The it's game's really awesome. The music's great. The missions are fun. Um, we had some rando get stuck in our party, and he really didn't do much for us at we all. We evicted him. We evicted him. We had he to... did, I smelled him, and he did not smell of a real <laughs> gamer. But I'm wondering when we're going to go all in on that and like just really barrel through the story. Probably when you're done with fucking Sekiro, dude. Oh, God, yeah. want to that... talk about barreling through things? I, I want to talk about how I thought I would never beat the Ginichiro Ashina fight, and after I did that, <laughs> I coasted through the game. I've been there. Holy shit. I've been there. It took me five five days yeah it was what? to be genichiro yeah dude no yeah dude because no, no. the, the previous thursday before we recorded i started it and then that following tuesday i did it on stream and it was this whole thing where i was like guys it took me five days and i fucking just i lost it i was so so happy <laughs> so happy to have done it oh, but at that point i couldn't stop and it's it's crazy because like that that fight really is like such a technical challenge mm-hmm. and everything after that like they don't really throw things at you like that they're like no we need you to kind of get along through the story there's areas we need you to get through new types of bosses new types of fights and you kind of are able to kind of pace yourself a little more evenly after that mm-hmm. i don't know I feel, I feel like i wasn't getting stuck on boss fights for fucking five days at least no i agree after <laughs> after that one fight it's like it, it changes a bit i i got stuck on the guardian ape fight for a little bit mm-hmm. because yeah. i was just trying to fix it was such a shift from going from the very precise combat with uh Gendichiro, mm-hmm. and then going to like oh this guy does like air attacks and he's unpredictable and he does this and that and he throws poop at you <laughs> he throws poop at you and it poison you and it's not like that nice. stuff but like getting that down was like oh fuck well, i feel awesome when it, i kill big things it's crazy how they do it because i think they scale that fight with the chained ogre initially where it's like you have this enemy who kind of is erratic with you he can grab you and throw you and then like mm. they throw tons of like samurais and sword fights at you and then they're like oh you forgot how to fight a monster here's a monkey and it's like you have to kind of rewire your brain a little bit and you forgot to fight a monkey well there's two (laughs) here's two here's a headless one and it's it's bride god (laughs) (laughs) bride of headless (laughs) but i've been barreling through it um some of the middle to end stage levels are really really cool you Mm -hmm. go through like this uh bata uh, i forget what it's called it's like a sunken little jungle and it's got like buddhist imagery and it's really really cool against like some of the earlier areas of like the castle um you go through an abandoned dungeon and i'm in this last area right now it is the divine realm and it's got all these beautiful pagodas and cherry blossoms and all these little sunken areas that you can kind of swim through and like little secrets you can find and there's this giant old koi fish um and it's got a lot of crazy enemy types and bosses that do these like different status effects to you and kind of just fuck you up it's really really neat though is that where the tree monster freak is yes the divine dragon he watched me do this this fight freak (laughs) where he's got lightning and you gotta throw lightning at him it looks like a fucking dragon ball z fight i I told you i recommend you make some wishes to shinra and i did not understand the reference at all yeah yeah it's fine yeah Yeah. but i don't know there have been some cool moments in between there i think the 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 fight i did today was the true corrupted monk i don't know if you got to the the first corrupted monk fight where are you at around there okay I think. It's in the Hidden Village. Yeah, I'm starting to fight guys that have the the, the, the double blades that are okay. coming at me with the big old hats. Oh, the Shinobi Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, so, okay, I know Around where you're going. there. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's this really cool point in the, the game, I don't want to spoil it, but something happens in the story and it affects how you go back to the castle. No! And it's really, really interesting. You come across like new enemies and shit. Don't change my game. <laughs> don't change my game! <laughs> <laughs> That's unfair! <laughs> but i don't know i love it i am i think i'm close i said this to you a hundred times i'm like i'm in the last area and i, I said I, it for like 10 days i told you, you today i was like i'm in the last area you're just like you've been saying this non-stop and i'm like no no i really am though like this is actually okay. the final area i don't believe you like you're gonna learn like at the end it's like oh okay now we're gonna flip the castle on you just like in <laughs> fucking symphony of the night 
<laughs> I would actually be pretty down for that, actually. I know you'd be down. If, like, New Game Plus was just, like, an inversion of you the You want to play world. this game forever. I, I do. There's I'm loving about it. about it that speaks to, to, to you. You well, like hard games. You, you like action games. You like hard action games. This game is everything you've wanted. Well, I think it's, like, what we were talking about before we started recording, where it's, like, you had to take a walk away from it after the Genichiro fight. Um, yeah. Just because you felt kind of burnt out from it. No, I get really tense whenever I get it's, in the boss fights. It's much. Yeah, but I have anxiety, Daniel. Li- I know getting fighting centipedal apes that are headless and doing little sword dances—it's much. It's not good. For but me. I felt like if I walked away from it, I would kind of lose the sense of like how I'm supposed to approach the game, and I didn't want to lose like the sharpness for it at I'm all. Getting this fucking FOMO about this game. Now. It's like, <laughs> I'm at work now. I'm I'm not a shinobi warrior. No, that's legit though. Like me on my breaks, I'm like <laughs> looking up battle strategies and like lore and all this stuff. I'm like I can't get enough of it. Can I take today off? Can I take today <laughs> off to beat this fucking monk? Can I take today like. <laughs> You suddenly start holding up your your fucking sword hands. Like you're looking at people like, oh, oh, sorry. I'm deflecting lattes and customers. <laughs> doing a death blow on my manager. <laughs> Just to get out. The posture meter is so high. <laughs> it's so much. But yeah, um, I'm coming up on the first ending. I know there are four endings in total. I'm probably going to work Fuck my that. way through. I don't know if I'm going to do it the natural way or if I'm going to force save states, but we'll see. Daniel, hmm. either a game ends or it doesn't. How does a game end four times? What is this? Return of the King? <laughs> oh my god. Well, if I don't do it four times, I don't want to, you know, sell myself short. I don't want to cheat myself, you know? Oh, shit. Yeah. I don't want the gamers to come at me for not doing it right. Nothing gained, nothing lost. Right? <laughs> Let me tell you what. But we'll talk more on that probably our next yep. episode. Hopefully by then you'll have caught up. I'm surprised I've outpaced you, but it's probably just because I've been going really We're hard. We're going to do a review episode. We do. Because uh, I lump in my pacing like in one day rather than over like five days. Legit, yeah, I probably, it took me like four or five days to get to this like certain stretch and you got like halfway, maybe more than halfway in that same amount of, like in that one day span. Just in one span. day span, yeah. Because yeah. I, I beat like three bosses in that one day span. I was like, but fuck it. I was excited for you to get to some of the areas. Like the Senpu Temple with like the battle monks was so cool. Yeah, like yeah, that setting's cool. really neat. Yeah, there's pretty just cool. a lot of stuff like later on in the game that I'm like, yes, I want him to experience this. It, it's so. hard for me to appreciate what's going on around me because every enemy pisses me off. I'm sure they all want to kill you. Everything's an affront to me. <laughs> so that's can all I, I'm concerned with. Can we talk real quick about the Armored Knight what's and his that? son Robert? Oh, fuck. <laughs> this fucking guy came in and he's like, I'm going to show you a thing or two. And I'm like, okay, you're in the wrong game. Dark Souls is that way. <laughs> they legit throw a Dark like Dark Souls style boss at you in armor, heavy attacks. And like right. you try to approach it like a Dark Souls fight and it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> but you're actually supposed to knock him off the bridge when you break his posture. And he fucking screams at his son. Robot! It sounds like, Robato! <laughs> like on the way down. Well, because the original language is Japanese. So you hear yeah. in this weird like japanese inflection mm-hmm. <laughs> i did it by accident i was like i didn't know i was supposed to do that and i just watched him fall to his death i was like oh well shit i that was accidental manslaughter yes it was <laughs> you didn't have to do that he was gonna befriend you he was gonna be your best friend no he wasn't yeah yeah jolly cooperation is what these games are about daniel and you're like jolly fuck you off <laughs> you're dead you want to do a jolly send-off for the, the roommates here? Oh, of course. Well, save roommates, we thank you for your ears, as always. We appreciate not one, but two. You, again, you can follow us on Twitter, at Save Room Show, if you want to jump in our mentions with some Mr. X memes. Nobody's taken us up on that. I've been no, saying it it's been January. two months. It's because they're cowards. Everyone's a yeah. coward. You're a coward if you don't give us a Mr. X meme. Um, and then beyond that, again, you can follow us on most podcasting services mm-hmm. out there. Just look for the Save Room. Uh, other than that, 
what do we got? I mean, if you want to follow uh, Kevin in his travails through the aired Badlands, you can follow him over at twitch.tv slash the red herb. And if you want to jump into my uh, Twitch chat over at uh, Dungeons and Daniels, let me know I need to parry better, dodge more. Uh, you you can do that over there. You know, I'll probably still be playing Sekiro in a week. So Yeah, probably. So there you go. Yeah. Follow us. Uh, we appreciate your support. As always, look for a new episode somewhere under your seat oh (laughs) it's exciting yeah we're such an exciting show now here we are all right guys have a great night take it easy